Sup Freaks, it's your boy Marty here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. I had the immense pleasure of sitting down with our good friend Dave Collum again. We last sat down on February 4th of this year, uh, right as the coronavirus was becoming a hot topic on Twitter. It still wasn't in the mainstream yet, and we had some theories about it back then. Uh, and We promised each other in February that we would congregate again at some point in the future to look back on... Uh, what actually played out with the virus and the reactions to it. And so we sat down last week and had a a great three-hour conversation. Obviously, with Dave, you tend to to veer onto many tangents, and and we definitely did that in this episode. And, uh, yeah, we talked a lot about the the lockdowns, the economic effects, um, second waves, and the uncertainty that lies ahead as it pertains to the coronavirus. And among other things, we talked about lacrosse, uh, family, and a bunch of interesting topics. Bitcoin, obviously, as well came up. Uh, this episode of Tales from the Crypt is brought to you by our good friends at the Cash App. You freaks already know all about them. And if you don't know about them, let me tell you about them. All right, They're helping you stack sats. They're helping you stack slivers of stonks, if you want to, via Cash App Investing. Uh, they have their boost program. It allows you to uh, get a personalized debit card that's accepted anywhere visa is accepted and they have partner merchants uh, if you turn on a boost for that particular merchant and you go to that merchant and you use your boost card you're going to save some money uh, so they're becoming a, a new bank as well uh, you can use the cash app as your bank account they have account numbers and routing numbers so you can get your paychecks directly deposited into the cash app and just do everything there at once. You can stack sats, send sats, receive sats, make sats to standard within the app. You can start DCAing in the sats in the app. DCAing, what's that? DCA, dollar cost averaging. All right, so you can set up uh, consistent buys within the cash app. Uh, choose one day, weekly, monthly, and you can just start a cadence of automatically buying sats within the app. Um, slivers of stonks as well. Uh, If you have a favorite company out there and their stock price is a little too expensive for you, you can invest as little as $1, all right? Uh, Cash App Investing is a subsidiary of Square and member SIPC. As always, make sure you use the code STACKINGSATS. That's S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. One word, you're going to get $10, and $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. Owls Lacrosse. All right, enjoy this episode with Dave. Long rip, meandering rip. Always a great time to sit down with the man who can rant better than anybody I've ever met. Enjoy. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's Marty Ben here. Reconvening with our good friend Dave Collum. Uh, We last met on February 4th, right before all this lockdown madness happened. We said we would hop back on uh, the airwaves to to recalibrate and see where we are a few months after that episode. So here we are. Dave, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Gaining some weight, eating too well. You know, the idea that we could all starve in our houses seems to have gone the other direction. Right. I, uh, I'm taking a detox this week. I've been drinking too much in uh, in quarantine. Uh, right. For one. With all the kids there. With all the kids there. All the kids and a bunch of parents that love wine. 
Uh, so we've been indulging in wine a little too much. Yeah, I'm not a liquor, not a liquor guy. So I, uh, so I, you know, I, I probably drink two beers a year. Hate the taste of wine. Um, and uh, so, so if if I was drinking beer, I'd be goddamn walrus. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's hard. We were just saying it's, you don't even get outside, especially when the weather weather's so shitty. It's been shitty where I am. And shitty where you are. Yeah. Yeah. Surprisingly, it just caught me off guard. I've never spent so much time at home and realized that that the weather's mediocre throughout April and a chunk of May. I just didn't realize how bad it was. Yeah, it's been. Hopefully it turns around as we roll into Memorial Day. But that's interesting how much things have changed since we last uh, last talked. I ha- I've had a child and uh, I have a completely different view of what's going on with this virus uh, in a macroeconomic sense. A bunch of different views now. Liberty in the digital age only three, four months later. It's crazy, I guess, to rehash for you freaks who haven't heard the episode of recorded in February, but around then it was like it was still up in the air what was going on. We were just getting weird news out of China via Twitter. Uh, nobody was really taking it seriously here in the States, and we were trying to uh, basically decide whether or not this was something we should take seriously. And obviously uh, since then, We've rolled into lockdowns. There's been uh, models that have come out that said millions and millions of people are going to die that proved to be false. Uh, a lot of people have gotten the virus and have uh, succumbed to it, mainly older people and people who are out of shape. What has it been like for you to watch all this unfold over the last three or four months, Dave? Um, I have I changed my opinion every day for, for, for about two months. And I would swear I finally got a beat on it. And then all of a sudden someone would send me something. I go, no, I don't. And so I'd think it was not a big deal. And then someone would send me something. I go, holy shit, it's a big deal. And then, I, and then I'd flip back and I drove my wife nuts. And she says, well, we always declare it. And I go, yeah, well, that's what I'm declaring that day. But the next day I'll declare something else. So, uh, so I kept going back and forth on me and I, I just couldn't figure it out. And, and um, I still don't know what the outcome is going to be, but it certainly doesn't look like the worst case scenario to me that, that, that could, could become it. Right. Could be, this was just the tip of the iceberg. We just hit it and we don't realize we're sinking. I don't know. Nah, it's really highlighted the fact that you really can't trust the media at all. They're, they're wrong in both directions. The media are the institutions that we trust, right? Like the CDC, the world health, health organization. It seems like everybody, probably underreacted in the beginning and now is overreacting to an extent potentially. Um, and it showed how people like bad, like we talk about bad models and economics all the time. And this has been applied to epidemiology as well with that Niall Ferguson model that everybody ran with and, and sort of based their, their decisions about lockdowns on. And it was written in Fortran. For- it's, it's that old. It was written Fortran antiquated you know i think the first fortran code was written on cave walls and uh and so that and the, you know as everyone probably knows he was just trying to get laid and, and he was trying to impress his girlfriend and and uh he wasn't social distancing and the the model was old and then not only came in the numbers start coming in way whacked out but also they started revising him lower and lower and lower too so um so he he's he's been uh one of the big douchebags of the year. Maybe the biggest, the, the hypocrisy of 
of throwing this out there, telling everybody they need a shelter in place? I think so. Um, there's a few out there, but yeah, most of them, you know, there's a, a few things like the, you know, people who locked down their towns and then got caught in hair salons and stuff like that. But the, he's probably the biggest douchebag. Yeah, that, that could be. Yeah, it was the mayor of Chicago, right? She went to go get a little haircut. Well, there were a couple. There was one small town mayor, and a small town you don't live in town, and uh, and so um, so yeah, the mayor of Chicago got 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 caught uh, cheese balling the rules, and uh, and uh, you know I don't know I don't know. There's a lot of things we blew. I, I, it's we don't know yet whether we blew them in a big way or if it was just in detail, right? Yeah. That's the hardest thing to tell. Like, should should I be worried? Is because when we were talking in in February, you were referencing. What was the date again? Was the date again? That'll help me. February fourth. Oh, so that was pretty early because I started tweeting about it. I think one of my my earliest tweets was around January, late January, maybe even as late as the thirtieth. And I was just watching it going. This is getting a little weird over there. Yeah. And, uh, I think by that, by the fourth, I was starting to get anxious. Um, I think by around the 15th, I was tweeting about broken supply chains and stuff and the markets were not responding. So, so I saw a just truly an enormous economic risk. And every day I'd go out and I go, the markets don't care. These forward looking things are, are, are looking backwards. I don't get it. And uh, then all of a sudden they, uh, they started looking forwards again. Yeah, they corrected what around the middle of March, beginning of March. Yeah, now they're back. Nasdaq's within two and a half percent of the all-time high. I made a hit it for all I know while we're talking. Um, that, that, that makes no sense to me. I mean, it makes sense if you say, okay, it's it's a casino and you're jamming you're jamming vast quantities of dollars into it. Um, it's a little like uh, years ago. I came up with a great metaphor, which I think was original, where I I uh, I noted the, the game Monopoly where um, you start out and everyone has a credible amount of money and, and you get the only way you increase the money supply is by going past go. By the end of the game, the only thing that's worth a damn is a $500 bill. Uh, most of the players end up destitute from speculating on real estate. And, and, uh, and I, I speculated that maybe they should have named the game inflation, not Monopoly. And uh, because it's a great illustration of inflation because you just kept pumping those $200 into the game board. And by the end, by the end, no one's keeping track of their 20s or 50s or even hundreds. It's just 500s. Hey, well, that's like the most perplexing thing for me. I mean, the the response to this has been a combination of 9-11 and the 2008 financial crisis, right? You have the the CARES Act sort of enacting... uh, what I would argue draconian tracing laws like the CDC has to make an app that traces everybody. Uh, it seems like they, the, this is being used as an opportunity to infringe even further on civil liberties. And then on top of that, obviously the economic response from the fed and the treasury uh, has been all inspiring with the, the, the loans that have been handed out, the uh, new debt facilities that have been created at the federal reserve. They're, buying high yield debt and high yield debt ETFs at that. Um, it is interesting to see how far this will go. And, and, and then if they do end the lockdowns, like how is that V shape recovery going to, going to happen? I don't, I don't believe so. 
No, I don't think there's a snowball's chance in hell, actually. Because um, I just don't think you can get people to do stuff that they used to do, right? Why, why would you go to a movie theater? And if you do decide to go, it's going to be an empty one, and therefore they're going to go bankrupt anyways. Um, and it's almost like now where when you see people in crowds, you're now sensitive to it and you notice it. And I, I, that somehow is going to stiffen up society. And, and also I've learned that you don't need much, right? We need shelter. We need medicine. We need food. And after that, you know, a couple of game boards goes a long ways, you know, playing a game Monopoly or Risk or something like that. And, uh, and, and you don't need all that extra crap. And so uh, you got the municipalities that are all bankrupt. I have no idea how they get out of that. The states are all bankrupt and the revenues are all going to suck. And so, so yeah, there's, there's huge damage done. Huge damage done. What does it, what does it look like on the other side of you? Do you I mean, obviously people stop going to the movies. You, they start staying home more. Um, like do any, like, like are we going to get that UBI that people talk a lot about a lot? Like, is that going to be necessary? Um, I mean, if you think about, if you think about how many mom and pop operations are in the country that, um, they earn enough money to put food on the table and pay pay their health care maybe and 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 pay their insurance and and pay their rent and 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 so they basically are are functioning on very thin margins and then the question is how much thinner can those margins become where it just fails and you know, they talk about restaurants opening up at 50% capacity. Restaurants working at full capacity fail with a huge probability. So, so if all of a sudden they're all at 50%, I don't see any restaurant survives. I, 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 someone will have to invent a very new business model for the restaurants to survive. And, and then all the little mom and pop shops and stuff, they just need a slight decrease in traffic. And they'll get that because all the waitresses and stuff weren't working at the restaurants anymore will not be shopping, right? So there's a cascading failure effect here. And um, so I, I don't, I don't, I don't know for sure uh, exactly how it's going to play out, but it seems like we're going to be in a very stagnant period. And at some point, you know, equity markets will correct, and then all of a sudden people will feel broke. Even people who are doing okay, who have savings and stuff like that, they will all of a sudden feel broke. But I've been predicting a market downturn for 10 years now. So, Oh, well, if there's any situation where it's going to be highly likely, it seems like, like it's it. Like the... Except for if you watch the markets, it's not happening. Oh, the, mar- the markets are completely disconnected from reality. Like, did you see that meme? I, I would argue they've been that way for 10 years. No, so. I, w- I would too. But, but if, certainly so now, yes. It's getting to a point of parity where you have... Jim Cramer with uh, NASDAQ has the best point rally in one day. And the, and the, the ticker is 15 million Americans are unemployed or filed for unemployment. I, I, there was a, someone grabbed a screen grab of that and I saved it. Yes. And so it was unemployment hit, hit something like all time highs while the NASDAQ was hitting all time highs. It was all in the same screen. It was, it was an, a remarkable image actually. And so, yeah, it's, it's, and, you know, um, I don't know a single macroeconomist who's, who thinks the V-bounce is coming. I, 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 don't, I don't know any. And the ones, I guess some must be predicting it, but um, there's certainly none that, that I respect. 
Well, that's like what leads me to believe. Like if this V-shaped recovery doesn't happen and the next six months to eight months are going to tell a lot, especially if they're depending on how severe the second wave is of the coronavirus or if there even is one, um, it's, it's going to make a lot of people angry, I would imagine, a lot of the common folk angry. Well, how severe is it going to be waiting for it? Right. So if, if, if you're not going to go build an addition on your restaurant, you're not going to expand your business. You're not going to do anything remotely aggressive, which capitalism kind of needs, right? They need people, you know, they capitalism needs people going on, on the risk curve to make shit. They don't, they don't need people. Capitalism does not people need people going out on the risk curve to speculate that, that that's, that's, that's just the idiots at the fed who, who think that's good. Um, and the people who speculate, they think that's good. Um, but, uh, but we do need people to try to start new companies and try to start new businesses. Nah, they're not going to do that. They're not going to do that. Wondering if in the fall it's just going to sh- get shut down. You put everything on hold. I don't see how we don't put a lot on hold. People go out to the beach and they'll say, oh, great. Now I get to go outside. That's, that's you know, unless you're going to count, you know, toes like we're counting eyeballs or something. That doesn't seem very um, GDP rich. Oh, but so can the Fed just keep this alive for, for the extent of this virus? Like, are they just going to keep printing money, handing it out to people? Like you mentioned supply chains earlier maybe i don't know what i do know is you don't replace lost wealth creation with money it, it just you just you, wealth creation is about you know it's about creating things that make the human existence better and if we're not creating anything handing out money is just wealth redistribution and and it may be time to redistribute it because you've got the people down the food chain who need redistribution. Maybe it's burnt. But, um, but, but the net uh, GDP of the country, or GNP, which is the GDP minus depreciation, that's not going up. Right? We're, not, we're not creating more. We're not, creating, we're not making the human existence better. We're making it less intolerable. And so I, I, it just... I think the Fed has completely lost sight of that sort of phenomenon, that idea. I think they've completely lost sight of the idea that, you know, corrections are important. They've lost sight of the idea that uh, they, they're, they're wedded to this idea that asset inflation is the most important inflation of them all. And I know, I know to the bottom of my soul, I know that, that if you pull the appreciation forward um, by creating a bubble, you, at some point you got to give it back. You have to give it back unless you want to say that we are just going to exist in an overvalued situation for the rest of eternity. Since we're not, there's going to be some period where you give it back. Yeah. I mean, I could definitely see that, especially considering how angry people, uh, people may demand it. And then it's actually had an interesting conversation with uh, a man named Jeff Booth who wrote a book, the price of tomorrow, which really focuses on, price deflation in the tech sector and just in in the world in general like we become extremely more efficient and uh, this has driven down prices for for a lot of goods yet we still live in this uh, inflationary uh, live under this inflationary monetary system and he really drove home the point that this monetary policy really doesn't make sense in an era which price deflation is is 
rampant throughout the economy. And so you have uh, a monetary policy that needs to print more and more debt to grow, and it's fighting these these natural forces of the price deflation that they're really not going to be able to win out against in the long run. Well, I think the monetary policy is also part of it's a social program, right? It's not as much an economic program as it's a social program. So I think the authorities are smart enough to know that if people start having to line up at soup kitchens, which I think not only has occurred, but I think it's in our future too. Um, and people get madder and madder that, 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 we'll call them the elite, the guys who, who make money off the system the best, um, they're not going to win either. So I think Powell's trying to find some way to, to get people to not lose their shit. And, uh, and I'm not convinced he's going to succeed. I mean, I mean, just look around. People are already restless. Only two months into this, you have people hitting the streets and it's, it's fucked up. People have fought, decades to build their small businesses and they're going to watch it sort of fall fall down in a couple months because they're forced to stay home and so i just don't know many small businesses that can work at anything but full full throttle right we lose tons of small businesses when we just get a business cycle downturn and this is we just slammed everything to the floor in this one this is nothing has ever been like it right during wars and stuff you get you get problems that break out but they break out regionally right it's along some border it's along it's in some faraway place it's even at home but not in every city but this thing we 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 put the hammer on absolutely every shred of the global economy and i i i i think that the analogy I use is like sticking a dynamite in a turkey, blowing it up, and now saying put it back together. I don't see how you do it. Right. Easily. So, I mean, like, would you have rather everything not be locked down in the beginning? No, you know, I don't, I know, because um, what I'd rather have done is had society go into this thing not already in a sorry state of affairs, in my opinion. So I think, uh, you know, Kevin War said um, uh, it, it, it would have been better if the Fed didn't treat every single day of the last decade as an emergency. And so it would have been better if we didn't hit this COVID thing with the world's biggest corporate debt bubble. And, and it would have been better if we didn't hit this COVID thing right when a, it's easy to say, but I believe it to be true, where it looked like maybe we were already starting a downturn, a real downturn. The, the, the upturn in the last 10 years has been actually been pretty pathetic. So they've been, it's, been, it's been a kind of a pump and dump scheme for the, the last 10 years. They've, they've, got, they've got, I've been laboring over the question of can you have, can you have a recession without unemployment? And, and it sounds impossible on the surface, but then you go, well, okay, um, the Russians and, and the Chinese and, the, and, you know, there's a lot of places in the world where no one has ever declared unemployed. And they could still go through business cycles where, where no one's producing crap, right? And things are not working very well. And in Weimar Germany, where society was ripping apart, people had jobs. It's just the currency was going to hell. And so their, their, their jobs weren't the system wasn't working. It was broken. I think we had a, I think we, we may have had a recession in 2000, 
1516. I thought we were starting one and then I was really amazed. I said, I, somehow, I don't know how we missed that recession. And this year I've been collecting data up until, up until the COVID, which then just dominated every, absolute everything, right? People think when I write my annual review, this year is gonna be rich with material. I actually don't think so. I, I to, you know, there, nothing interesting is happening when everyone in the world is sitting in their house. There's just nothing interesting about that. Um, but I, I thought um, I was collecting data retrospectively that I think was making a pretty good case that in 2015, 16, we did have a recession. And, and, and you can find claims of a trucking recession and a rail recession and a manufacturing recession. I go, what the fuck is left? Right. What, how is that not a recession? Right. They keep putting adjectives in front of the damn thing. And uh, I think we had one. And I think Powell's, the, the Fed's goal seems to be to keep the asset markets and other metrics elevated to sort of cross the to bridge the recession. I think it's a sort of a, maybe even a new way of thinking about it. Um, I think it's a flawed model. I think that, um, that recessions serve the purpose of blowing out stupid businesses and blowing out stupid jobs and blowing out excess employment that that was being used inefficiently because life was good and there was gigantic you know stimulus and you name it um causing businesses to overhire, overbuild, overproduce. And uh so at some point you gotta purge that. And that's what a recession is. And I, I think the Fed is trying to stop It'd be like if you could suppress a fever, you know, fevers are, are the result of a positive thing, right? You get a, it's a consequence of a positive thing. Yeah. When I, when I get the intestinal stress, I don't take modium right away. Right. My wife was just taking modium. I said, no, I got to let mother nature run for a while on this one before I do, because it mother nature saying, get this shit out of there quite literally actually. <laughs> and, um, and, and I, I don't want to preempt that. So this isn't the same Taleb sort of thing, an anti-fragile sort of thing. What, 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 you know, Taleb actually makes the argument that, you know, when you, when you splint up a sprain or something, you're, you're, you're making a big mistake. He said, he said, mother nature will handle it better if you don't, if you don't put the artificial support. I, years ago, I wrote about how how respirators, ironically, when someone goes on a respirator, it's hard to get them off after some number of weeks because their lungs atrophy and pretty soon they're too dependent. So we've become dependent on, you know, fed, fed crack. We've become dependent on, um, um, on stimulus, government stimulus, right? There's, there's no way government stimulus is good. It's, it's government is inherently inefficient. It's inherently bad, actually, except yeah, there's stuff you have to have government for. So you say, okay, it's a necessary evil. Yeah. So I'm not an anarchist, but I am a, I am a Ron Paul minimum government guy. I think I would fall in that category as well. And I mean, when the airlines went down and the cruise ships went down and, and, the, and the oil industry, which is extremely overlevered, and you want to talk about a misallocation of capital, the oil industry is probably one of the main... Uh, examples of that. Yeah. Uh, I think the fracking was intentional. I think, I think maybe, you know, 
I, I'm always torn between whether someone's a complete incompetent or whether there's competence there. We're, we're being, there was once this SNL skit where Reagan was acting like an idiot because the left used to like to paint him as an idiot. And he'd be acting like a boob. And then the, then they'd close the door and all of a sudden he'd be barking out orders and, you know, commander in chief. And then some outsider would walk in, he'd go back to being a bobblehead. And they were trying to portray Reagan as the hidden genius, right? Which some of us actually think might have been true. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, maybe, gov- maybe there's people in government who are really sharp, but, but, but for the most part, they seem pretty stupid. And... Uh, I don't know. I just don't think you give government wads and wads of authority and wads of money to spend and say, spend it for us. It's just, I just, my dad told me that. He says, don't, don't give money, government money to spend. They'll do a terrible job. Now they, they don't, they don't wait for it. That was, he told me that back in the days when, you know, tax receipts were the source of money. Now it's a farce. Now it really is MMT, which you probably know my opinion on that. So, um, yeah, we're already in, into a big sort of MMT world where we just we just create the, the the money from thin air. Yeah, I mean the externalities of this this most recent bout of stimulus. Like people are making more money on unemployment than they were at their jobs, and you want to talk about terrible skewed incentives? Like my- yeah, and you know the problem. I one guy made the rationalization that that's because they want the people to not feel the need to go to work and the urge to go to work. And so they set this thing up to draw people out of the workplace. And, and in some superficial way, it had a sort of a, a ring to it. But the problem is, was it 39 months or something? Yeah. Last so kind of sent us, they kind of sent us by setting a date on it on a 39 month recession. Yeah. That's that's ridiculous. Is it thirty nine months? That sounds too long to me. Thirty nine weeks? Maybe thirty nine weeks. Thirty nine weeks is probably better. Right, but now you got all these guys who are saying, "I'm not going back to work." Why would I go back to work? I think some would because they like the knowledge that they have a job rather rather than security of knowing they won't always have that check. So I think it won't do it to everyone, but I think there's plenty of people who will say, "I'm not going back to work." And 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 the the the, the small businesses they're not going to hire the same way as before. This is what recessions do. They say, you know, we can live with less. We already have. We just, we're doing it right now. Yeah. I mean, commercial real estate is going to be shifted on, on its head. Uh, you're going to flip the table there. Like people are realizing that we can communicate via Zoom. There's no reason for us to pay expensive rents in big cities. Like, and I think you're going to see more, a lot more work from home and distributed teams. And then, you know, it's really weird as I consult for Pfizer. And I was told at the end of last year that they were going to go to a, uh, a virtual consulting, which I knew was the beginning of the end at, at some level. Cause, cause, cause I, I saw how they were going to structure it. And I said, there's, there's nowhere near the amount of profit in it for me based on this new structure. So what I used to do is go there a couple times a year and they'd pay me a set amount. And then they were setting it up to be sort of on an as needed basis. And I just knew that I wouldn't rack up the, the, the billable hours as they would say in some other business. Um, and that, 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 you know, out of sight, out of mind, they wouldn't even use me potentially. So, so it was the scheduled visits that were, were good for me. Now one could argue Pfizer's making it more efficient and so one could argue that that's the net plus, just not for Dave. 
um, some of us benefit from inefficiencies. Yeah. And so, um, but I don't, you know, farm is hiring now, I'm told. I'm told they're hiring. They're not just not firing, they're hiring. They got to make a vaccine for this coronavirus. Yeah, but the, but more than that, yeah, they, they uh, I, that, that whole vaccine story, I'm, I'm, I'm at most 50-50 on whether I think they can come up with a vaccine because some serious virologists that I know say there has never been a coronavirus vaccine made. Yeah, the, the common cold is a coronavirus, right? Like that, that's why I've, I've been highly skeptical. Uh, like if we don't have something for the common cold, why would this be any different? And it seems to be. Yeah, it makes jokes on Star Trek about how that finding the cure for the common cold on Star Trek, which gives you some idea of what Gene Roddenberry thought about, you know, the odds of coming up with a, a cure for the common cold. So, yeah, so the, it's conceivable they come up with something that boosts the immune system in some way. But yeah, even the flu vaccine is not a vaccine. It, it, it triggers immune response, but the flu can still catch you. Yeah, my, I mean, my sister got the flu shot this year and she got the worst flu of her life, uh, type A. Right. And then there's the odd things, like I've read articles claiming that the correlation of seriously bad COVID cases with flu shots. Yeah. Wouldn't that be ironic of getting a flu shot, which I got this year, what an idiot, right? It makes you much more likely to get whacked by COVID. But, but I'm, I'm still disbelieving in some of the numbers. I'm, the, whole, the whole story has got potholes all over it. It's just all over it that I don't understand. Right. right. It seems like, and it's the other thing, the media and big tech sort of muddying the water of like who we can believe, who we can't believe. There was that pandemic movie and a little documentary that came out. Uh, yeah, I didn't like that actually. Just, I, I didn't find it very credible. Uh yeah, I didn't put much credence in that either. There's two doctors in California. They took that video off YouTube. Um, and they were probably more credible. Plandemic was the one with that woman. Yeah. She she just seemed dim to me. I, I'm on an email chain with her. I someone Someone's sending the two of us emails. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, it's, I can't say I'm connected with her. I think, he, I think it was like, let's see if we can get these two whack jobs talking to each other. Um, but I, I watch her and I think she's not, she's not completely wacky in the sense I think she does have, have scientific skills. But, uh, but you can really go down rabbit holes and not be able to come back. And she, she could be on, in one of those. Yeah, yeah. No, but just going down the list, like the like rumors that doctors are being incentivized to, to write COVID as the cause of death. Well, I don't think that's just a rumor. That one's real. Yeah. That one's real. So, so hospitals are getting COVID support for, for treating COVID patients. And, and one could argue maybe it's that, you know, the bailouts approach to bailing out hospitals implicitly. So, so if, 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 if you can give hospitals assistance in doing COVID, then you can pump money into them. I've heard that if you get a diagnosis, you get something like 13,000 bucks. And if you, if someone's an inpatient or ends up in the ICU with COVID, it's something like 38,000 bucks. Um, who's not going to check COVID on the box, right? Yeah. So how much does that skew? The numbers. Yeah. And then you, I don't know. And the, I, the numbers look like shit and shit out to me. Right. And then, you, and so there's, there's over 90, 90 COVID tests 
mean, there, there's COVID tests coming out of laboratories all over the place. There's no, so, so any statistical analysis, any, even the most remedial tabulation even is not valid, right? So there's antibody tests, but they don't even know if they're picking up coronavirus antibodies from some other unrelated source. And biochemistry, former student of mine who's a biochemist said that they don't have a good test yet. That was about three weeks ago, but you know, we've been collecting a lot of data claiming that, you know, keeping track of it. And I don't think we're keeping track of it. I had a COVID test done and it was done incorrectly. Really? And what, what do you... Well, so what happened was I, uh, I felt crummy since the fall actually, but uh, with this voice in my head saying, you know, it's conceivable that this thing has been banging around since the fall. One of the theories as to why the West Coast didn't get it bad like New York is they've already had it. That's one of the theories. And uh, so my son and I went and I, mean, I felt crummy one day. So I went and got, got a, we both got COVID tests and they, they stick the, um, the swab up your nose and the, the mechanism by which they're supposed to do it, they're supposed to jam it to the back of your throat. There are crevices and nooks and crannies. They're supposed to push through those and get to the back. It, 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 is, it, is, it is a nasty experience. It's not pleasant. And with me, they just wiped it around the inside of my nose like this. Went, bah, 10 times in my nostril. And I walked out and I go, that's not going to get a hit. So I don't know if I've had COVID. It's, it's not an antibody test either. I don't think, I think it was just a, who knows what. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing. That's, the antibody tests are vague. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that's always sort of perplexed me with the fear mongering around is like, we don't know the true denominator. Everybody's, like uh, push. yeah the denominator story is a huge one we don't we don't know how many people die we don't know how many people have been exposed to it and the biochemists i know have been pretty nervous i will confess that i'm not i'm personally not finding biochemists who who are dismissive um but they're open-minded and so i i in our discussions i rattle their cage and they'll say, okay, but what about this? And, you know, one guy's wife is French and she was getting sort of feedback from what was going on inside France. Of course, how? Was she in hospital? No. She was getting information, I think, what she was reading in the French newspapers. I had a doctor tell me there was a big problem in Rochester and I went, I Googled, I couldn't find a single local story in Rochester about a COVID problem. And so I've attempted to do independent analysis by by trying to identify sample sizes, samples that would tell me something. So for example, it goes to a town of 40,000. Um, it's a complicated town because of the students, but, uh, but Ithaca could have been nuked because we got enough Chinese kids who came through here and then went back or some of them stayed. And so, so there's nothing about Ithaca that's isolated compared to other farm towns, right? We got a lot of foreign kids here. And we have, um, we have no COVID deaths. So zero out of 40,000. Um, then I, I noticed the NBA, I think it was the NBA, maybe NFL, but one of the major sports uh, franchises tested every single employee all the way down to the secretaries and the trainers and everything. It has to have been thousands representing dozens of cities and they did an antibody test, supposedly, and got, got 0.7%. 0.7%. Yeah. 
Yeah. So how is that possible? This thing's such a if this thing's such a raging inferno of a disease. How is that possible? Yeah, no, I mean, I think you're. I think the Utah Jazz was the team that did that, and I think the whole league did it. Yeah, I think the whole league did it. And then the other one, this is the one that really bugs me, is I, I've thought about famous people. And as I've said before, famous people are famous positions. So I don't know congressmen. I would notice if Maxine Waters headed to the light, I might have a beer that day. <laughs> um, but there's 535 Congress people, Congress folks, who if one of them died, we'd know it. And there are, um, there are, uh, a hundred senators, 50 mayors, you know, there's, 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 there's diplomats, there's sovereign leaders, there's famous people made CEOs of companies, uh, sports stars, you name headline making people. If Jamie Dimon died of COVID, we would hear about it all day long on CNBC. Right? So there, there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who would be making headlines if they died. And I ask you, can you name one? No, the closest I can think of is Boris Johnson. People really wanted that guy to die. Boris didn't die. Yeah, but he pulled through. Yeah. We don't know how sick he was. Yeah. He said he was in the ICU. Well, guess what? When the head of your country gets sick, he goes to the ICU. Period. I agree. So Boris didn't die. Madonna hasn't died, right? There's a lot of people who haven't died. Uh, Tom Hanks or... Or or uh, or Chris Cuomo or whatever they're not dying, and so the question is, how is it this thing can be such a truly awful thing? Yet I can't identify in that sample size someone who died. Yeah, it's it's weird. And if you Google it, what you do is I'll tell you what you find. It's really interesting. You find, um, if you Google famous. People who died of COVID, some Google search like that. You find lists of people who, first and foremost, they're not famous. They are almost all in the entertainment world. And you wonder if it's because the entertainment world has a sort of a lock on the media. So, so they will tend to keep track. You know, it's not like famous construction workers are going to keep track of each other, right? Um, and, and, and they're always like the producer of such and such a TV show. And, and there's just no famous people, no famous, no famous actors, no famous anyone, no Steven Spielberg, no nothing. And you find these people and I go, I, I can identify one of the people. One of the guys is, is the, the, one of the two lion tamers of Siegfried and Roy. I can't remember which one. And he was something like 87 years old. So how do you know what he died of? You know that he died and you know that presumably they test him for COVID, although they might've just taken their 38,000 bucks and run with it. I can't name people who died. I know they're out there, but it shows you it's not, right now it's not yet reached the point where you go, you know, during the Black Death, which I, fi I finished a book on the Black Death around October, ironically. It's not that weird because I, I read books on the Middle Ages a lot. And I started watching YouTubes on immunology in October. 
and that, that was very prophetic. I, and I started talking to, I started looking at vaccine videos and I'm a vaxxer. I think these anti-vaxxers are a little out of their minds. But I also believe that the vaccinations may not be optimized and that we might be screwing things up. And, and, uh, and, and, and one of the things that comes out of this is that there are some nightmarish vaccination problems out in the world. So Bill Gates has taken a beating out there. And part of it's because he seemed to foreshadow COVID with the Gates Foundation mock-up of a, of a pandemic that was too close to home, right? Too close for comfort. Um, but, but you can find write-ups that say Gates has become obsessive compulsive over vaccinations. Right? And so he went, I, I, I kept looking for a metaphor, and I realized it's the bridge over the River Kwai. You ever see that movie? No. Well, it's about the POWs who have to build this bridge for the Japanese. And, and, and they build it. And the, the guy in charge, the chief engineer, takes great pride in building this bridge to the point when it finally comes time where they have a chance of destroying it, he tries to stop them. And I realized that could be Bill Gates. He's just so obsessed over vaccinations. And there's stories out there of Gates' vaccinations in Africa causing paralyses and massive deaths and stuff. And I don't know how serious to take them. Yeah, it's like Robert F. Kennedy went after him, right? And Yes, Robert F. Kennedy has made it a full-time job to go after Gates. And there was another, didn't he like, or he's claiming that he uh, reintroduced polio to India via vaccinations as well. Yeah, well, Kennedy could be a whack job. There could be a lot of inbreeding going on there too. But, um, but yeah, just because he's Kennedy doesn't mean he's not as nuts as me. Um, but it, it does give you pause when you see something like that. And, and, uh, and the question is one of mass hysteria. Is it, is it possible that we really have had a mass hysteria where we all just sort of lost our minds and, and the closest example I have personally that is I happen to be a climate denier. Not that climate change isn't occurring, but I'm, I'm, I'm doubtful enough of the narrative that, I, that, I, that I'm clearly in the denier camp. We probably talked about that. And, uh, and if, let's say we're right, let's say that's correct, then, then that's a global hysteria. Yeah. And there's opportunists who are exploiting it and happy to keep the hysteria going. If you're selling solar panels, if you if you want to trade carbon credits at Goldman Sachs. We've got uh we've got two stories uh intertwining here. Did you see Greta was on a coronavirus? Uh yeah, I did. Yeah, that's that just shows you how stupid the people at CNN are. Just truly extraordinarily mindlessly boneheaded idiots. Just, just beyond. And then they actually had a story where they were trying to downplay it, like, oh, all we did was this, and there was so much brouhaha. And I'm going, you put a 17-year-old who has no knowledge of COVID on your goddamn news show. You deserve to get, you know, a dirty swirly out of that one. They're just so fucking stupid. They're just beyond stupid. Right. Yeah, and it's so, Greta, 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 and that's the silver lining. Is Greta's been off radar? It's like, thank you, please take her, send her off to high school, get her out of here. I think she's ready for college now. At this point, she'll go to Harvard. Yeah, or Stanford. What the fuck is going on at Harvard? I've been asking that question a lot recently. They've got a they got a vendetta oh, against homeschooling. It might be just the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot of Chinese intervention in U.S. science, and. uh 
every, all the major schools have money flowing from China. And I've never understood it personally, partially because I think I'm too lazy. But, but I, I think if I'd wanted to play that game, I could have set up relationships in China and they would have given me money to run research groups in China. A lot of people do this and I can't see why, but they, China, if you, if you take it all the way back when China started sending students here on 1980, 81, I remember when the plan was set up and it was presented to us at a faculty meeting at Cornell and about five other schools were gonna accept Chinese students, right? This was so surreal. And, and, and they were gonna hand select them for their ability to speak English and for being smarter than mothers and stuff like that. So China, that began the process of sending Chinese science over here. Now, I was always troubled by the fact that these kids after they got their degree here stayed. I said, what is China getting out of this? And over time it became clear to me that one possibility is that they have infiltrated the U.S. with, with people who are sensitive to China. Now, it doesn't mean that they're spies, but it does mean that they're happy. For example, I've got several Chinese colleagues. This, they're happy to take Chinese postdocs. They're happy to take Chinese grad students. So they were opening pipelines to the United States. So every time a kid, instead of going back to China and building China's chemical industry, they stayed here. They were opening up a pipeline. If we ever ended up in a, a real hot war with China, this would be, you know, you know, Pearl Harbor 2.0. This would be, we'd be sitting there going, what do we do with all these, these Chinese nationals who are hanging around here and, and all these people? So in any event, so China set up all these arrangements. And again, egomaniacal people love the idea of having this horde of workers and the numbers, the size of China is so big, it's hard to imagine. So you set up a group in China, 35 co-workers or something. And, you know, if it's paid for by China, you get all, but I don't want to have to worry about 35 more people. I, I got enough to worry about here. I don't need to worry about something going on on the other side of the globe. And I'm just not egomaniacal enough to want to do that, I guess. But, uh, but I think there's a lot of these, I think a lot of them are conflicted, just like the Harvard guys, like Charlie Lieber, who I don't personally know, but as a chemist, and he was chairman of the chemistry department, and people I know know Charlie well, and he's apparently a dickweed. And, and then another guy that's got no press, but I've been told this is true. If this turns out not to be true, then, you know, I'm sorry. But a guy named Sonny G, who we actually looked, at hiring once. He's working in a national lab years ago and we decided against it and then Harvard took him. Um, he supposedly hightailed it back to China. He didn't wait around for the feds to indict him. And so Harvard, which is a very small, strong chemistry department, you can imagine, uh, lost two of their 20-ish faculty to, to, to this, this, this scandal. And uh, I don't know what's going to happen to Lieber, but it's, I don't think it's going to be pleasant. I don't think it's going to work well. And I, at one point, so Texas said there was something like 100 research group in the state of Texas that were getting money from China. And I read this article that said that, that five of them had divulged all their conflicts. Now, I have to fill out a conflict of interest form. And I'm telling you, the one I fill out, I'd have to divulge all that shit um, 
or lie. The one I fill out, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a proctological exam. So if they're lying about it, then, well, you know, the feds are not going to like it. Cornell's not going to like it. And so, uh, so uh, I think there's, there's all these Confucius institutes running around here, which I don't understand at all. It's almost like, uh, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, a religious cult or something. I don't know what they are, but, but they're, they're dotted around the country on, on campuses, supposedly. I'm going to have to read about them, I guess. And they're starting to get vaporized. So I think they're becoming politically too hot. Yeah, I had Kyle Bass on a couple months ago, and he he mentioned those as well. It's sort of a, a way to inundate the U.S. with with Chinese propaganda. Uh, Have you had Kyle Bass on your your interview? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's a big score. So that sort of pomp, as we were talking about before the show. He he had Bass too. These you guys are boating big fish, right? Got to water it down with column types, but 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 Bass is. The problem is Bass, who I like a lot, um, he's also conflicted, right? I think he's got big bets against China, but you know, he says, I don't know if he says, maybe I should be careful, but he's, he says that the Chinese come at him like crazy. So he says that he gets, you know, he gets all sorts of hacking attacks on, his, on the phones and on, the, on the, 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 the internet services within his organization daily, just absolutely relentless. And I have no trouble picturing it. He's out there ringing the alarm against China every day. Yeah, he's not He's not shy about calling them out. I, I, if I were him, I would not fly to Asia if I were him. And then there was that crazy story of where he interviewed Guo, that expat billionaire. Mm-hmm. Guo was talking about how Wuhan had a, were, were running 24 crematoria, 24-7. And we, to this they don't know who was full of shit on that story, right? Well, that's but Bass believed it. Bass believed it. Well, that's like that's the thing that confuses me, right? Because in the beginning, when we originally when we recorded last in February, like it seemed like the numbers out of China were being heavily underreported, like hundreds of thousands more dying than than they were telling right. us. And then it could be, it could be. But how come it's it still- did, like how come it wasn't that bad here? Did we just get a a, a uh, well, no. a weaker strain that made it over here or I, well, I, I, there's several possibilities I, I, again i'm we almost can't win now is the problem so i think we're going to have a long-term economic problem the social problems are going to show up to, in different ways depending on the outcome so i've talked to a lot of biochemists and say please correct me on this if i'm wrong if this thing is as virulent as they say, we have to get herd immunity. Now, herd immunity is a vague number because it depends on the virulence and what we do. And it will, it, eventually it's like diluting it, right? So the so, so, solution to pollution is dilution. So if you get to the point where there's just not enough people running around to transmit it, it just dies out. And so that depends on all these different physical properties of this virus. and and I've seen numbers that say it could be as low as 20% of the population getting it. But when the NBA has got 0.7 antibodies, if the numbers, if the test is correct, which gets us back to shit, shitty numbers, but if those tests are correct, then we don't have herd immunity. So here's the deal. I think we come out, we come out, we start doing what we want to do anyways, and it's going to flare up again, which means we're going to lose. Right, we're going to 
again or not, but, but quite likely it seems. And, and it's gonna become protracted and, and, and people are not gonna know how long it's gonna last. And so no one's gonna start businesses back to the stuff we we're talking about. Um, or, um, or it's, it's not gonna come back and people are gonna go, what, why the fuck did I lose my job then? Yeah. We don't have herd immunity. We never needed herd immunity. We don't know what happened. I don't have a job. I'm mad. And meanwhile, they're telling us just get back to work. Yeah. And so I, I, I think there's an optimum in the curve. And the optimum in the curve, if, if everyone dies, that's a problem. And if, if nothing happens, that's a problem because people are going to be pissed. I say, Jesus, was that just a hoax? So somewhere in the middle there, we have to come to terms with the idea that we all sacrificed. And I say we all collectively, because I haven't sacrificed that much. I mean, I'm, I'm, right now, things are good. Um, but but if, if Joe Sixpack lost his job, he better be able to say, I get it. Um, I think it's like, you know, if, if parents send their young boys over to fight a foreign war, um, World War II, if their kid gets killed, they're going to, they're going to hurt like hell, but they're going to be able to say, you know, he fought for his country. I'm proud of him, blah, 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 blah. You lose a kid to Afghanistan. You might say, you know, I'm not with it. I'm not getting it. I'm not feeling the love on this one. And so I, I think we need to somehow come out of this believing that the pain that we went through was necessary. And then the question is, what outcome would produce that awareness, that, that, that claim of, 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 uh, of coming to terms with it? And it's, I think we got to get some more deaths. Well, what about this? Like, are, I think we're at a point right now, a juncture where we have enough data on the people who are dying, mainly older people, people with vitamin D deficiencies, people with comorbidities that we can sort of try and quarantine those people. Like most, most of the deaths in America have been in nursing homes now. Well, I was told that the average age of the COVID death is higher than the average age of, of all deaths. Yeah. The, the average mortality. I, I know the fact that the, that the nurses, the death toll on nurses is, is one-tenth the death toll of the population at large. Now, they're not all struggling with COVID patients, but, but there are a lot of them who are struggling, supposedly, with COVID patients. And, and, and yet they have a 10% fatality rate, the 10% of the normal fatality rate from COVID. So why aren't the why aren't the people in grocery stores keeling over dying? I, I don't know. Yeah. No, it's it's and then again, like what we do know, it seems that people with vitamin D deficiency. So if you were to open it back up, that's something nobody wants to focus on is preventative health. Like try to bulk up your immune system. Uh, yeah, and then you get something like Trump taking chloro hydrochloroquine, and he gets holy hell, but, you know, and they're saying, you know, the scientists have, have not, you know, authorized. I'm going, well, the scientists did authorize taking it, and it's taken prophylactically for malaria. My cousin has lupus, and she takes it for that. Right. And so it's not like Trump's taking, you know, taking something really stupid. It's, he's not guzzling, you know, liquid mercury or something. Well, and 
and again, I've I've been painted as a conspiracy theorist a couple times in the past, but that's what makes me take pause and question. Like, why are they so vehemently against it? Like, looking at the incentives, like Bill Gates' incentive, if he gets his vaccine uh, to market and forces via the World Health Organization, which he donates a lot of money to, to uh, sort of persuade governments that they should vaccinate all their citizens, he's going to make a lot of money. Uh, hydrochloroquine... I don't think- the money for him though it's hard to argue he's in it for the money right he would have just stayed at microsoft if money was it um but that's where it becomes the obsession right becomes a you know dr mangalay or whatever you know that's that's a little too harsh but um you know i think he might mean well but he he might be blinded by his his desire to save the world yeah well then on the other end like hydrochloroquine is is a not it's a generic drug you're not going to make a lot of money from it and everybody's screaming bloody murder that you should be staying away from it like the plague yeah what and the chinese have tested it now the, i think the reason that they're saying there's no evidence that it works is because it's chinese or we're when convenient we call them liars um i think the chinese government certainly is not averse to lying but I, it's my understanding ours isn't either right <laughs> Well, that's, again, and Whitney Webb's done some great journalism on this, too. Like, talk about a combination of 9-11 and 2008. Like, it seems that the U.S. government, the NSA, and the intelligence apparatus, if they had their way, would try to get it, use this to get us on par with the Chinese surveillance state. They think we're, some people in these agencies think we're, we're behind in the fact that we can't track and trace and surveil as yeah, well as the Chinese heartbreak, can. Isn't it? Right? They can, right? Did you, you saw that you saw the tracking where they looked at, at Fort Lauderdale mm-hmm. Beach. Mm-hmm. We talked about that on this podcast. The claim that they can't track us is crazy. They're talking about developing tracking mechanisms. They already have them. They're just trying to find a way to make it sound like they didn't have them. They developed them, and you should all, you know, move in lockstep with each other and follow them. But but I don't think they want to admit they already can do it. But they can. They they show that in that video where they for those who have not seen this, they they haven't they someone has an app where you can see all the cell phones. They show up as little, you know, lit up specks on a map. And you zoom in and zoom in and then you get to you got the Fort Lauderdale Beach during spring break and the kids were not taking it seriously. And then they circled all the cell phones that were on the beach and then and then they followed it day by day and then watched them scatter across the country and it was showing the the potential transmission of a disease across the country and and did they actually transmit a disease i don't know i'm not seeing it i, I don't know and I, it's yeah i believe it's real but i do worry that it's it's real and it's nasty but we went from dealing something that's real and nasty to exploiting the crap out of it for all sorts of crappy reasons. Right. And one of the things that drives me completely batshit are the fact that there are politicians. I'm sure there are. It's possible I'm just wrong. But I think there are plenty of politicians and certainly people who think that the beauty of the sheltering is that it decreases the chance of a Trump re-election. Now, I think you're a sick fuck if you think that. I, I, I think that's a t- bit of twisted reasoning. You're throwing Joe Sixpack under the bus 
because of some cockeyed fucking idea that the orange man is, is, it's worth throwing all these people under the bus to stop the orange man from getting reelected when he's going against a, a demented, drooling idiot. It's a geriatric old man. Geriatric old. old man who looks like he's losing his marbles. Although, again, I think he's going to go against Cuomo, not Biden. But, you know, and, and before that same group of idiots, sorry, I think you're an idiot if you think that way. These same idiots, you know, voted for Hillary when I think she's way more despicable than Trump. Trump's way more idiosyncratic on the outside, but I think Hillary's a way more despicable person than Trump. It's not even close for me. And they all voted for Hillary, and somehow they don't see the hypocrisy in that. I understand when I voted for Trump, which I spent a lot of time pondering, <coughs> I knew I was voting for a, a highly flawed person. I knew that. And, and, and it just, I, I decided, I thought he would be uh, a deal maker. And I thought he would be not militaristic. And he's kind of lived up to those expectations. He made a good deal last week. Um, getting a TSMC or TS, TC, or yes, TSMC, the semiconductor producer. Uh, yeah. Uh, to come build a factory in, in Arizona, which is huge. Like we need that from a Bitcoin perspective is something as somebody's into Bitcoin mining, all the ASICs that make the Bitcoin mining world go around are produced in two foundries in Taiwan and Samsung and a big, and it's not only Bitcoin, it's other ASIC chips as well that go into all of our military equipment. I think you said we're halfway to Bitcoin. We were at the halfway mark. We, we the, uh, the subsidy having, we were approaching that. Um, which happened right. two weeks ago or last week okay. on the 11th. Um, yeah, I'm getting more podcasters from the Bitcoin community than from, from the normal community. I think it's because you guys are more comfortably outside the box. Yeah, I think that's safe to say. Yeah. Uh, or the other phrase is nuts. Ever since I did the first podcast with you, my Twitter feed is filled up with Bitcoiners. They're a very benign bunch, I should add. So hi, I want to say hi to you guys. Um, they keep try, they keep taunting me in very friendly ways to get me to 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 go to the dark side, and I keep saying, you know, keep trying. Um, and uh, and uh, but they 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 know that 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 uh, they they know I don't hate them, right? Because you, you guys eat a lot of buckets of shit too. The gold bugs do too. So we're 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 in the same you know, sort of somewhere between um, below, we're, we're above pedophiles, below <laughs> Clintons, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I would like to think so. Hopefully we're above pedophiles. I, I'd like to think we are. Probably above Clintons too. Yes, um, I would imagine so. Yeah, in fact, I'd put, I'm not sure who wins the pedophile versus Clinton category. Um, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, you got to take the orange pill, Dave. It's uh see there you go there you go I can your uh, your uh, your your listeners just soiled their thongs again right there they're going oh yeah 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 Marty lean on them I, I keep telling them if I buy Bitcoin that's it it's curtains hey hey if that's what it takes uh for you just not to be uh, buy Bitcoin for it to succeed I will I will I that's will take right that, you know that's right I I am I am the last I'm the person who when he buys it they'll throw the toaster oven in the pool and out y'all go i should just tell your kids to buy it then that's uh that's a nice 
Yeah. Yeah. I wish my kids had enough money to ponder ideas like this. <laughs> Uh, hey, you can stack a little bit of Bitcoin. You can buy as little as a dollar on the Cash App. But that wouldn't do any good. Huh? That's a token gesture. That would be like if I said, okay, so if I want the equity markets to tank so I can buy them at a discount, I can go buy one share of Apple or something, right? So what, right? Now, whatever you do, it has to be consequential. So I have to really sort of push my chips into the middle of the table for Bitcoin before it became a karmic thing for Bitcoin to, to, uh, to tank. And so here, I have a little calculator up here. If you bought $10 of Bitcoin every week for three years, you've yeah. total amount invested would be $1,570. The right. value, value of that Bitcoin today would be $2,583, 65% gain. Right. Slow growth. I was telling people why I wasn't buying Bitcoin when it was $10. So you, I, I, I'm, I, it's, uh, it's, um, I, I was foundation level stupid. Um, if you, if you consider outcomes stupid, I don't, but some people do. We, we don't have to stay on Bitcoin, but I do imagine we would make, uh, we could potentially make a similar order of magnitude moves up, uh, like we have from ten dollars to around ten thousand right now, I think. We you could, think we go another three orders, four orders of magnitude? Three, three or four, over the next twenty, thirty years. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Okay. In today's dollars, um, but going, going back to the deal Trump made, like yeah, and I agree. Like I get accused as like a huge Trump supporter. I don't vote. I think voting's for assholes. I really don't think many people. Uh, I don't think we're going to change our world via the federal government here in the U.S. Um, but I do like to concede when when good deals are made. And like you said, it seems that Trump has made okay deals. I think that deal he made last week with the semiconductor producer was a very good deal for national security. Not even taking Bitcoin it, out of the it, qu- question. Making deals, and he he, I saw. An interview of him, I, I never can remember the date, so I'll invent one, but I'm going to guess it was around 91. He's certainly much younger, talking about the problems we had with China, what had to get done. And it, it's exactly what he's doing. So Trump Trump has been self-consistent on his views on how to handle China for, for almost 30 years now. And he's not wrong. I mean, this crisis is, has proved it, right? Like the supply chain concentration is is very unnerving. It's this huge flow of dollars from from west to east. And and you just can't keep doing that. Now, we're addicted to being able to buy, you know, a six pack of tube socks from Target for eight bucks. And and that's a problem. So we've this is this is what's gotten us to the edge of the precipice was is this idea that the Chinese, you know, sent us crack pipes and plenty of crack to get hooked. And then and now 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 they own us. Well, yeah, and it's at the same time, like the last 15 years, particularly, like they've blown up their economy and raised their middle class. We're now, you know, some U.S. entities like Disney and the NBA who are beholden to a huge market over there. You know, the NBA. Or the, yeah, 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 the NBA, right. Exactly. When LeBron stepped in to try to smooth it over, that didn't work for old LeBron very well, did it? Yeah, the Houston, uh, uh, the Houston Rockets GM. Came out and 
stood up for the rights of the Hong Kong people and got yelled at by the CCP. Well, you know, who else did something just like that? So you say, oh, those Chinese, those bastards, right? Um, when Jeff Bezos was shopping around his corporate headquarters and, and he was basically getting um, every governor and every mayor of, uh, to, to, to bend over and grab their ankles and beg for it. Um, and then he finally came out, I think one was North Carolina and one was New York, right? Yeah, and Queens. Then, and then, yeah, Queens. And I knew the New York one. It was going to be right next to Cornell's tech tech facility that we set up there and stuff like that. So we were, would be big winners, I think. And then there was some pushback. AOC opened her mouth. Um, a few things, but it was trivial, right? Jeff Bezos is not going to 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 react to AOC. No chance. And next thing you know, he pulls out and says, uh, <clears throat> says we're out of here. And I am convinced that that his motto where he's going to have two corporate headquarters was stupid from the get-go. You don't have two corporate headquarters. It's not a headquarter if you have two. And I am convinced that he decided that one was going to become a sacrificial lamb. And the, and the question is why? And the answer is because next time he wants to do something, he's going to say, look, did you happen to remember what happened the last time someone gave me guff? Don't give me any guff. So he used New York as a, uh, it's like, uh, 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 was it Genghis Khan? Attila the Hun. Attila mm -hmm. the Hun um, had some pretty rough ways about convincing his, uh, his followers, um, convincing his followers that, uh, that I don't know how to turn, get my phone to not react. Here's what I got to do, though. I got to uh, I got to get a, a, something to drink because I'm getting dry mouth. So we'll walk over here anyways. So until the Hun had ways of getting his followers to behave. And one of the things he'd get is he'd, he'd impale one of them. And when you impale, it's kind of a funny story. When you, I used the word impale in class one day, and I explained it. And impaling is where you take this log and you, you, shit, you, you, you taper it to a razor sharp point. And the master impaler can tap that sucker up some poor slob's ass and have it come out his collarbone without killing him. Got to know how to miss the organs. And then they'd prop the poor bastard up because it's a tapered log. And so it was, you know, one of the world's worst butt plugs. And, um, and they'd leave him there to die. And the message was, don't, don't get on my wrong side. Right? So I tell that story in class. And this guy named Josh, who, a wonderful kid, overtly gay male, really flamboyant, flaunting at gay male. And he says, uh, he says, I don't believe you could do that without killing the guy. And I said, well, that's because you're not a master panel, Josh. And he says, well, I'd like to think I am. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was, I was laughing my ass off, but I was speechless. I just had no comeback. I just couldn't think of a comeback. And uh, then the other thing he did is he said, he told us his, uh, his soldiers, when I shoot at something, you shoot at something. And so he uh, picks, he just one day shot at some guy and, and uh, some fairly innocuous character and, uh, and, uh, and a bunch of the guys shot him, but, but they're ones who didn't. And he, 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 he killed them all, the ones who didn't follow. And then one day he shot at his favorite horse and, and a pile 
shot the horse, but one guy did and he killed him. And then one day he shot his wife and they all shot his wife. (laughs) (laughs) So You know, that's what Bezos was doing, in my opinion. He's saying, when I shoot, you know, when I say jump, you say how high. Don't make New York's mistake. That'd be a great strategic play. Because we're... how, how, how is it possible that a little guff from a few second tier, second tier, fifth tier politicians could get Bezos to pull out of New York? I mean, McDonald's puts up with more guff just putting in one, one drive through window, one, one, one franchise in one goddamn place, right? Walmart puts up with much more guff just for one Walmart. Yeah, what was going to lose that battle in New York? No chance. Yeah, what was the? Uh, we're not going to lose three billion dollars in taxes or something like that. Was her? Uh... Oh, she was an idiot, right? Oh, there's a there's a newsflash. No, she 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 said well, she said something about spending that money on better stuff, and and of course the press pointed out uh, uh, AOC. Um, that's money. not money we currently have. That's money we were we, we in theory might have could have gotten, but aren't going to get now anyways. And so she somehow thought that we were giving him a billion dollars out of our coffers. And uh, yeah, she's a rocket scientist. Um, so uh, I, we've gotten off the track here, but um, yeah. No, it's like bring it back on track here, like the 2020 election and where we are now with the economy shut down and the, the precariousness with which it may or may not open at some point in the future and what will happen if it does and if the coronavirus doesn't come back like where the the, the state of the fed and the, and their policy like it just seems like we're hitting ahead like we have joe biden versus trump right now and yeah well, i think it's gonna be cuomo so i don't think it's gonna be biden i wouldn't be surprised either i mean well biden's nowhere in sight he's awol yeah, could you imagine them putting him on a debate stage? Maybe that's another reason they want the lockdown again. Let's say he's nuts, right? That seems like a reasonable hypothesis. Um, his campaign managers, you know, during Trump's fuck-ups, his, his team should be out there beating Trump like there's no tomorrow. They should be saying, look at our candidate, how good he is compared to Trump. No, what, what we're seeing is how good Cuomo is relevant to Trump. Right, and what are we? I'll be shocked if Cuomo's not the nominee. I'll be shocked. Oh, it is crazy this time around. We're less than six months out, and like the the media blitz around the election is nowhere near where it was in 2016. Right, and and by the way, if 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 you know, sort of loose marbles Biden or pedophile Biden or whatever you want to call him, there's got to be some cool nicknames. I'm sure Trump has thought of a few hundred. Um, if if it's not him, then who is it? And it's, they don't want Bernie, right? I think they put the, this marble deficient pedophile in there to keep Bernie out. It's possible they're just trying to throw the election because it's like, look, we can't let Bernie in there. It will destroy the party by moving it so far left, we'll never recover. And so I said, okay, we'll put the loose cannon in there. He won't get elected. Sort of like George Will when he supported Hillary. He said, look, I'd rather have Hillary than Trump. And it's it's one for the party, right? He took it, Billy Crystal, same thing. You know, not the comedian, the other one. And um, oh, at times he sounds like a comedian. Um, and, and I think that they were saying, operationally, it's more important to 
to to keep it from getting completely nuts than to win the election. Yeah. So maybe Biden is a way to throw the election. That wouldn't surprise me. Do you think Cuomo would have any chance if they did throw him in the ring? Oh, I think so. I don't know how it would go, but put it this way. He, he's kind of well-matched because you don't sense he's a wuss, right? You sense he's sort of New York tough also. Um, and he certainly got so much face time, way more than he should have gotten. Right. Right. New York's not a story anymore. He's still, he's still getting time. Yeah. This and he would... just babbles for hours at a time about doing things rationally. He sounds rational. Right? He hasn't made any major faux pas like Trump has quite a few times. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize he was brothers with Chris Cuomo until this whole thing started yeah. unraveling. Started... I get the feeling Chris Cuomo's a bigger dick than Andrew. <laughs> I would say Chris Cuomo, I would say uh, and we should vote Andrew Cuomo on the proviso that his brother can't be in the media. <laughs> Some conflict of interest argument. Get him out of there. All right. No, it was weird and creepy. Like the f one first interview I saw with them, I forget. I think I was w watching for like a... Oh, they go at each other. Yeah, they like talk about their uh, mom and growing up. That's funny. That that's 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 New York or New Jersey street talk, right? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's not just uh, that's not just two brothers. That's, one time I rode in the cab with one of these guys. You know these guys who just talk and insults, and it was nonstop. It, nothing that came out of his mouth was anything but a wisecrack. It was just nonstop wisecrack. And I would say something to him, and he'd say, "Oh, so we got a comedian here, right?" And I'm going, yeah, whatever. Whatever, dickhead. It's but uh, going to college in the Midwest, coming from Philadelphia. People really don't get the, the Northeast sarcasm in different parts of the country. Yeah, and it's, it's big time. And this guy, this guy was world class. This guy was top shelf. So I think the Cuomo's have a healthy dose of that. Yeah. What do you think about uh, the power of the states throughout all this? That's actually probably another silver lining that I've taken out of it. it seems that even though some governors have made pretty terrible decisions that the, the autonomy of the state is really being highlighted throughout all this as well. You know, I'd love to see that continue. That's a Ron Paul idea, states' rights. Um, I, the silver linings I'm seeing in this, besides the fact that it's taken some stupid ideas off the front page, uh, are, include um, we seem to be going more local, whether it's state, whether it's uh, actually local. I think I think small communities have come together well, and they've recognized um, they've recognized that uh, that uh, that it's it, we don't do it as a community. No one's going to do it for us, and, and so I'm kind of hoping that maybe um, people will t will take community more more seriously. Uh, I wrote about community, the importance of community, about a year ago where I, I said that, you know, when you do things like urban renewal, you build nice new buildings, but you flush people out of their neighborhoods. And it's not just out of cheap housing, it's out of their neighborhoods. So you really tear the fabric of society. To us, the society you see, you go, well, that's the Bowery or that's the South Bronx, whatever. But it's still a community. It's still a society in there. And when you, you throw them all out and make them scatter to the wind and find new cheap, you know, dilapidated housing, you, you destroy the social structure within that community. And, and so, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't no, know. no, I'm hoping for that too. We've talked, I had, uh, 
Chuck Marone on from the Strong Towns podcast and the author of Strong Towns. And that's one, that's actually another thing I had in my mind to ask you about earlier because we talked about the Weimar Republic. Um, number one, I, I think this could, I agree, I think this could be uh, another silver lining is that people realize they need to have more resilient communities and talk to their neighbors more, which I've definitely been noticing, at least where I am. Um, and back to that conversation with Chuck. When you happen to say hi. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I had noticed over the last couple of years, I'm kind of one of these spontaneous talkers, you know, where I'll, I'll be standing there in line or something. I'll just say something to the person in front of me. And I, uh, I thought I'd picked up over the last couple of years that people were much more um, aloof and that they, they much less willing to just strike up a conversation about, you know, the weather. Yeah. Uh, and I think we, I think a lot of that sort of has come back. I know we're trying not to breathe on each other, but I still think there's a, there's, we're all in this together attitude, which is, which is good. I see it every Friday night. Um, we'll get pizza from our local pizza stop, shop and I'm tasked with going to pick it up and everybody's sort of forced to stay socially distant, but the, there's always conversations that are strung up. Just You have that first awkward five seconds where everybody's like rocking on their heels, like waiting for their pizza. And then uh, like you, I'm usually the one to break the ice. Like what the hell's going on? And right. You know, uh, we're probably the guys you don't want to sit with in an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I've always had this belief that everybody has a story. If you can get them to tell you their story, you can learn a lot. So one time I picked up a hitchhiker. Really? Was, oh, I used to pick up every hitchhiker, every hitchhiker. What year is this? Oh, until I got married. And then my wife leaned on me and said, you can't do that anymore. But I was hitchhiking at 12 and, and with sanctioned by my parents. And, um, and I met people. And so I would pick up hitchhikers no matter what until I was probably uh, 30. And then I got married and I was like, it's like, you've got a family, dude, you can't do that. So 30 would have been 1985. And, um, and everyone had a story and, and the hitchhikers had gotten seedier because it used to be, you know, kids just hitchhiking around and then it became uh, people more, destitute type. So I pick up this guy and he's, one guy I picked up, he, he'd just gotten out of prison. And I said, you dangerous? And he said, no. I said, that's good. Um, but he was talking about being in there for armed robbery and stuff. And, and then one day I pick up this hitchhiker and he's smelly. He looks older than he is. And he's telling me about, uh, telling me about his life. And he says he wanted to learn how to fix motors. He, he got past, he got through third grade third grain. He's going to pick beans. He's going to find agriculture work. He had a suitcase, no handle. He, he, he hadn't had a shower in a long time. And he said he wanted to join the Navy or the Army or something, and, but he couldn't. He was flat-footed, and then he got drafted, but then he didn't get to choose what he wanted to do, so he never got to figure out how to fix the, the motors. And um, I'm chatting with him, and I, I, the first thing I notice is he uses phrase per se. Well, that's not exactly bean picker jargon. 
And then at one point he asked me what I do. And I said, I teach, right? This is going to be need to know basis, right? And I said, I teach. He says, where do you teach? I said, in Ithaca. He says, what do you teach? I said, I teach chemistry. And he says, the high school. And I said, no, I teach at Cornell University. He says, oh, Cornell is very good in chemistry. And then he proceeds to rattle off the top 10 chemistry departments. And if he had said Harvard and Yale, I'd say, well, fuck, even bean pickers know this, right? Um, He was listing Chicago, Caltech, Stanford. You know, he was listing the good ones that, that a bean picker might not know, right? And I've, I literally, you know, T.O.'d him and said, how do you know this? And he said, uh, he said, I, I, I read a lot. And I, I said, what do you mean? He said, well, when I pull into a strange town, the first thing I do is go to the library and I read for a couple of days. And then I get a job. And, uh, and he, I said, what do you read? And he starts telling me, he's, he's talking about Thoreau and Walden Pond and the influence on his peers. And I'm pretending like I know what the fuck he's talking about. And, and then I start thinking, okay, he's duping me. So I start steering him and I say, what do you, do you like poetry? And he goes, no, nah, I don't really like poetry. And then he's go, well, I do like this guy, blah, 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 blah. And he goes on for like 20 minutes talking about poems and poets and stuff like that. And and he talks about Roman history and he, he goes on and on. And he, he said, you know, I, I realized I could teach myself how to fix motors. So I got this book on physics and I started to learn about heat transfer and stuff. And it was really interesting stuff, right? This guy got through third grade. And I realized that I had picked up a genius, a, a true genius who, who had fallen off the planet. And afterwards I felt bad that I didn't try to get him a job pushing a broom and, and, in the the library or something right like goodwill hunting or something and uh and then years later i realized dave you're naive he he didn't fall off the planet just because opportunity didn't knock he fell off the planet for some much more fundamental reason and that, that it wasn't like oh just give me a job i'll be fine right that, that was stupid thinking um and uh he had a brother he got separated from and, and you realize how do you find someone you've been separated from? We have cell phones now, but so he never saw him again. Um, but I've picked up all sorts. And one day I picked up another old man hitchhiker and I said, where are you going? He says, New York. I said, what are you doing there? He says, I'm writing a book. I go, what? I want to have his population theory. He explained it to me. I didn't understand it. Um, I never did get out of him. Why the fuck are you hitchhiking? <laughs> I thought, you know, I'm thinking maybe he lost his license due to a DUI or something. Maybe he doesn't want to talk about it. But I used to pick up hitchhikers all the time, every single one. And I, I still will occasionally without telling my wife. There's still hitchhikers these days? I don't know how to do with them. If someone puts a gun to my head, it's, we're going to hit a tree fast. Yeah. yeah. Well, Uber's like the organized hitchhiker these days. I couldn't stop thinking about like conversations I've had with Uber drivers. Oh yeah. It turns out one, when the first day I ever rode Uber, some chick, she's talking about shit and she's, she's kind of like this hot 50 year old chick. She's this black woman. And, and I somehow asked about her boyfriend or something. He died and he killed himself. And it just, it just got so, this yarn wound. It was about an hour ride. So yeah, uh, the Uber drivers have, have a story. They all have stories. Yeah, uh, I had a fascinating Uber driver in Sonoma last year. My wife and I went right before we found out she was pregnant with our son. 
hopped around a couple of vineyards before a conference and one of our uber drivers was an ex-buddhist monk like white man mid-30s like unsuspecting buddhist monk and he had uh left the monastery he was just completely uh sort of jaded by the the monk you know lifestyle. you're not gonna believe who who supposedly seriously considered moving to ithaca the dalai lama really yeah he apparently has strong ties with ithaca for some goddamn reason and he pondered hanging a shingle out in ithaca it's like holy shit whoopi goldberg at a house across the lake right so it's a little cow town, but we, there's some weird shit happening here. What? Uh, I wonder what the the Dalai Lama saw in Ithaca. I don't know. You know, Tibetan chicks. I don't know. <laughs> you get you can imagine you get a few in Nepal or wherever he is, but um, I don't uh, know. Yeah. What did Whoopi see in Ithaca? I don't know. It seems pretty beautiful. You showed me the. Uh... Oh, it is, but you know these are globe-trotting people, so yeah, it's a pretty quiet place, all things considered. I think places like this are going to become more popular after this. The, the exodus out of New York City's material. I know I'm leaving. Right. Um, no, my life is phenomenal here. My life is truly phenomenal. My house is sits on the lake, hundred foot cliff. I can, you know, if I rotten fruit i can throw it off this cliff it's just i can hit the water i'm that close i'm literally hanging off the lake looking west i didn't realize how important that was till the first sunset i go oh by chance we got the right side of the lake that's good um and you know we sit out on the deck i have a whirlpool out on the deck so we can sit in the whirlpool if we want and watch the sunsets and, and um 12 minute drive to campus eight minute drive to the airport um I, how do you beat this right I don't know How if do you, you be? people, I know people, particularly <laughs> the last couple decades have really, really honed in on cities and as somebody who has been living in a 750 square foot apartment, I don't understand why I would. Yeah, I, I'm stunned when people turn us down for a job. I, I'm just staggered. I go, you're going to walk from this? I mean, I get it when they've got a spouse who's a Wall Street banker, right? We're going to have trouble with that one. But, but occasionally we lose someone that they could have come here and I go, how can you turn this place down? I, I don't get it. Huh. It's, it's just miraculous. Voted the number one college town three years in a row by probably some Cornell sponsored magazine, but. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's going on at Cornell? Are you guys opening up the doors in, in the fall? Uh, we're about to find out. I think we're about to find out. Um, Ithaca College said they were going to open in October. And it seems like such an odd thing. And what I'm thinking is they're going to be online until October, and then they're going to open. I'm thinking is you got to get the kids back here. You do not want to become online University of Phoenix, right? You just don't want that role. So um, the mayor of Ithaca was on CNBC the other day, and, and he said, we're going to have five times the amount of debt than when he took office, which was a record debt at the time. And he said, we burned it all down on my, on my watch, but now we're going to have five times as much. He says, that's assuming Cornell students come back. And they said, what if they don't come back? He says, it's going to be a cataclysm. Uh, and this well, is why the V-bounce makes no sense. Because we're screwed if the students come back and we're totally royally humped. 
if the students don't come back. Yeah. No, and it's, I mean, all these, well, it's become very apparent that like university education via Zoom is, is a lot of people are my alma mater, DePaul, a lot of students. I'm just noticing following the threads and uh, some Twitter accounts that follow DePaul culture and uh, the kids do not think the, the Zoom calls are worth 35 grand a year. Right. So that's the problem. So the good news is it says you need a college. The bad news is it says you can't charge for that shit. Right. And so if, if we, if we go online in the fall, I think the kids will come because, because it's one of eight semesters. But I also could imagine saying, look, I'm going to take a gap year. Right. I'm going to, a gap semester. And if Cornell tries to do something to stop that, the optics will be terrible. So I just don't know how we'll handle it. Now, I, I, for me, I just crack this sucker up. Open. I, but I do understand why if we open it up and then everyone starts getting sick, we're humped again, we're going to be sending them home again. And it's just, then you've got a real problem. Now you're starting to anneal a system into place. It's not a good one. Yeah. Weird times. Weird times we're living in. Like, are we is it like the darkest moment before the dawn right now or potentially no no, not yet no no i think it's a false dawn actually i think people are glad to get out the weather's nice and stuff but they still don't have jobs we still don't know who is gonna have jobs and 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 you know bianco said on on twitter um and he's been calling the macro really aggressively. Uh, he said, you know, 90% recovery is a disaster. And some people jumped on him and said, you know, why is that a disaster? And I jumped in and said, because that means we got a 10% drop in GDP. And that's a disaster. And, and so, um, yeah, maybe you could say a less of a drop depending on what the 90% means, but, um, but we need to have all all systems firing. You can't have a bunch of unemployed people, especially angry ones, right? Especially people who, who you know, the recession in 2000, it, no one blamed the authorities, right? They bought dot-coms, they lost their money, they felt stupid, you know, go, God, I'm not doing that again. They went and bought Bitcoin. I'm just picking on you. Um, and, and, but they blamed themselves. 2009, they blamed the banks. Uh, this time they're going to blame the government. They're going to blame someone. If, if they lose their jobs, especially if it turns out to be for no fucking reason. Right. Well, it, yeah, I completely agree. And that get, bring it back to the Weimar Republic and what Chuck and I were talking about. Like, isn't this a similar situation where Weimar Republic didn't really, it had inflation leading up to their hyperinflationary event. But what led to their hyperinflationary event was the fact that France came sort of occupied, uh, the, the territory and the Ruhr Valley, the Ruhr Valley. Yeah. And then, so the leaders of the Weimar Republic just told the factory workers not to work and they would print money and give them money, um, right. to assist off of, is that what any- claims is that the, the, that the Weimar Inflation was also when the government took on private debt. And I was never able to piece together exactly why that um, 
that would be, I, I'm, I'm increasingly of the mind that Colin Roach recently stated that we don't understand inflation. And, and what it also means, I one time had an old economist I was playing golf with many years ago, say inflation comes without warning. And so we can sit there and the, the metaphor I like is in the movie Pearl Harbor where the, the, the torpedo goes bouncing along the runway, not blowing up. And then red, red, the, the redheaded guy um, um, sticks his head up and says, hey guys, it's a dud. And then he gets his ass blown to bits. So, um, so I think people could say, hey, you know, this whole inflation thing's a dud and they get our ass blown to bits. Yeah, that's what but I, I can imagine a profound deflation. I'm much more of a deflationist than I ever used to be. I'm much more of a believer that a determined Fed may have no capacity whatsoever to stop it. Well, yeah, I mean, I would agree there unless you have the government helicopter dropping money into people's bank accounts yeah. like they are now. Um, I'm not sure the politics of that would work. We're, you know, we're not Weimar Germany. It's, but but it could happen. It certainly we're we're pretending to do it. Um, you mentioned that they're buying junk bonds, which I agree. But it turns out they've bought very very few, so like three hundred million. Yeah, they just started. They just started buying them last week, I believe. Yeah. Uh, right. So the question is, was that just because it took them a while to get their their shit together, or was that because? they don't actually want to do it. What do you think it is? I think it's the latter. I think they don't want to do it, but they created the term facility. And just because they created it, they like, had to save face, be like, all right, we created it. We have to, to buy some. Right. Uh, but I think, I think you have a problem when your fed appears to be a bunch of liars. Exactly. So Jeff, um, Jeff Schneider of Alhambra, Alhambra, I hope I'm saying that right, Investments, wrote an article, went through Powell's speech and, and talked about all the lies in his speech. And they were not big grotesque lies, they were fibs, but there were a lot of fibs. And, uh, and I think it's, he says that that's the sign of a desperate person. And maybe, I just, I, I think that, um, Powell looks like a very weak Fed chair to me. Well, I feel bad. I feel for Powell. I feel bad for him. He's been handed. You don't? No. He looked like a defeated man on 60 Minutes this week. Well, that's a problem. That's what we call a weak Fed chair. Um, you know, someone like Volcker could have looked defeated. And he had ball. Put it this way. Volcker's feet are, were both on the ground because his balls weighed so much. <laughs> I mean, Volker's the only good Fed chair, in my opinion, that's ever existed. The only one with yeah, actual you balls. You've others. You got guys like Chesney Martin, I guess, was probably okay. And you've had others, but um, you got to go pretty far back. Before Volker, right? Started okay. I think Arthur Burns was a wuss. Um, the guy in the. Uh, uh, William Harding was the Fed chair in the 1920s, and he seemed to understand how fucked up they they had gone. He seemed to understand that that they had really screwed the pooch. And a speech he gave in 1928, and uh, which I read the whole transcript. It's, it's that that's light reading. Um, 
I think they have sold us this bill of goods that that um, that they should have no restraints on them, and if we give them no restraints, that they will fix it. And I think they're full of shit. I think they're terrified of having the problems appear on their watch, so they want to put it off and make someone else suck it up. And uh, that's why I think Jaypo is a weak Fed chair because he 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 has flinched every time the market has shaken a little bit. And I I think he's moral hazard is a horrible problem, and you know. What's the problem with taking on huge amounts of debt if you're going to get bailed out every single goddamn time? So someone has to blow their face off. People have to get their faces ripped off when they do bad things. Why couldn't we let the airlines fail and let other capitalists buy those assets? Like That's the, the weird misconception out there is that if these companies fail, that their assets will just disappear and they can't be used again. At some level, maybe it shows the corruption of the system. Right? Maybe it shows how corrupt it is. Right? We even inadvertently bailed, inadvertently or inadvertently, I'm not sure which, we bailed out the cruise lines. We had nothing to do with the cruise lines. Nothing. That's, that's an industry that should be wiped off the earth, even before right. this well, virus. Not only that, but um, I don't know if, if the cruise lines won by some sort of proximity effect or if we actually bailed them. I haven't been able to figure that out, but they sure as hell all of a sudden got real cheap money because of because of Powell and his band of idiots, and uh, and that's just the problem. I'm so despondent that the bad bad politicians and bad CEOs and bad companies and bad management are all going to get bailed out by the fact that everyone's going to be able to say, "Don't blame me. It's the virus. Don't blame me. I'm blaming you. You assholes who ran all the airlines into the ground." You bought back shares that you couldn't afford to do. You, you took on debt and bought back shares. You did all sorts of bad stuff. I've been writing about it since 2012. Um, and and now, all you, now all of a sudden it's the virus that, 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 that makes your organization a complete sack of garbage. And it's not the virus. You're just a sack of garbage. Let's see. Again, not saying I believe this, but that's the other thing that makes you like, huh, is this a controlled demolition? Just cop out? Like, Someone called it that. Who was it who called it a controlled demolition? Where else did I hear that? Yeah, controlled demolition of the U.S. economy. Is that Elon? I don't know who, who it might have been. I got it from someone less, more obscure. It's hard to be less obscure than him. Um, and, and, you know, the other funny thing is... Um, the Fed's actions, there are so, so many smart people who are screaming at the top of their lungs how bad they are. And how can they keep doing it when this is not just Joe Sixpack screaming in pain? That takes balls to ignore. But when real smart people are saying, this is a terrible idea, guys, don't do this. You know, and you've got former Fed governors saying don't do it. You've got you've got macroeconomists in the big big houses saying don't do it, um, and then they go do it because they think they're so smart. When in fact, I think they're really incredibly stupid. Yeah, and then again, bringing it back to MMT and the inability, just the overarching idea that these very few people can micromanage this complex system is acidine. And then you see the ways in which it's bastardized this, these bailouts and these handouts. You have BlackRock 
uh, sort of deciding where a lot of this money goes. You had and small... you can't see where it's going, can you? There's something like six trillion, and you have no idea where it's all going. No, it's... they're hiding it from us, and transparency was taken off the table. So you got Mnuchin, who 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 was handed 500 billion that he could use at his own discretion and not have to fess up to anyone what he did with it. How is that? God damn it. Bring Putin back for Christ's sakes, right? That's just oligarchy. Well, that's an, another small detail, actually pretty big detail that's been missed throughout all this or uh, pasted over is the Fed and the Treasury have basically merged. Right. So the Fed is is somehow avoiding breaking the law, maybe, by doing screwball things. They think here's what they're saying. They're saying we're gonna we're gonna have sex with sheep, but it's not unnatural because we're wearing a condom. <laughs> right. right. We've got protection. We've got a thin thin lamb lambskin protection. So it's not us screwing the sheep. It's the condom. And so. Um, so no, they, they I, no the Fed uh, wretched policy. It's it's there's not a shred of evidence this will ever work. There's tons of evidence it won't work. Japan has been a great example. Now say, oh, Japan's different. I go, yeah, they're ahead of us. That's it. Well, this is actually something I wrote about today because did you see the headline? The Wall Street Journal: Birth rates in the U.S. have fallen to all-time lows since they've been keeping the. The data, I believe, started in 1909. Really? Why do you think, what did they say was the cause? Lack of money? Well, see, I couldn't, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't get past the paywall, but. In, oh, I can get past the paywall. Yeah. Cornell gets me past paywalls. But I do surmise that that is the cause because I wrote about this last year around this time. The Japan Times came out the study. J Japan is obviously a couple decades ahead of us with all this. And their birth rate is famously. But I'm not a big fan of a system that requires growing the population to be healthy. That 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 then I sort of side with the global warming crowd saying this is not sustainable. So I I do think that um, when my brother was in when I was in high school, my brother was in college, and he said to me something about the economy has to keep growing. He says, and I said, well, it can't keep growing every year. He says, well, it has to to be healthy. And I knew that the math of an exponential function says you can't just keep compounding. I agree. You know, that, that claim that the most the most amazing invention of all time is compound interest is bullshit. That's a, that's a fallacy. And negative interest rates have proved that right. Um, well, not just that, but if you do the math to say, okay, the, the, uh, probably 10 years ago I wrote about this, where you, if, if your ancestor at the time of Christ had said, okay, fuck it, I'm not going to buy two pairs of sandals, I'm going to put it in an interest-bearing account and a hundred bucks in modern dollars. And, and I'm going to compound it and I'm going to leave it for, for my 20th century ancestors. Right. And so, so this would be in there, it'd be during the growth of civilization, right. And it'd just be compounding away. And the question is what kind of a growth rate could you expect? And I think the average joker thinks it'd be like 3%. 3% gets you something like 10 to the 28th dollars, which is, which is, which is, you know, more, more than the grains of sand on the earth or something. It's, it's, I, it's, it's 28 zeros. I don't know where to go with that. So you start backing off the assumption and then you come to a truism 
that you realize you go, oh, duh. And that is that essentially there is no growth rate. It's so close to zero because you create wealth at the same rate that you consume it or destroy it. And, and the compounding of the wealth from the time of Christ, which by the way, real estate already existed. There were some pretty big fancy buildings already, but you get to the present, the actual growth rate to get to the present level of wealth is micro smidgens annualized. I'm not, yeah, I'm not gonna argue that. Right, and, so, and if you ever stopped compounding, everything would go into the foundations. Yeah, I agree. And I'm not trying to make a point with that low birth rates mean. Right, you, so, so you, we, we, we gotta be able to find a way to not grow all the time. We should get smarter, our knowledge should grow. But you know, we can't keep compounding the consumption of energy at 3% a year and. Well, back to Chuck Marone and what we said on that podcast, he has a great analogy where we're currently, uh, we have an economy on the bike where the success of us staying stable dictates that we need to keep moving the pedals and moving forward. You can't, there's no brakes on it, on this bike. You can't stop or else you'll tip over and fall. Well, need to... so the question is, would it be possible to have, if you have no growth in population, to have no growth in the economy, is that a sustainable model? What, 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 what fails in that model? I don't know. The point I'm trying to make about birth rates, though, is that the data in Japan, the surveys that came out, 89% of respondents said they didn't have children because of their economic situation. No, no, that's right. So it's, a, it's an indicator. It's not a cause. Exactly. Right? It's yeah. Uh, and, and I think well, people should be able to have kids if they want to. And if the economy is hindering that, I think that's a bad sign. A very bad sign. And um, by the way, I'll warn you, your kids, how, was, how old? Three months? Three months. In about a year and a half, that kid will be so adorable. You, you, the terrible twos is a complete and utter fiction, another fallacy. The twos are extraordinary. They're so much fun. The kid you have now who you think is fun is just a fucking blob of shit. I already want to... I already want an Irish twin. I would have an Irish twin if my wife would let me. Right. And, 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 and so what'll happen is when that kid's around two, it, that kid's going to be screaming at you in subtle ways to have another, because you're going to go, I got to get me another one of these. These things are so fucking cute. And then what happens is you have some number of kids and then they get to the teens and by their actions, they will be screaming at you. What the fuck did you do? <laughs> Already... So the teens are to get you to, to stop. It's Mother Nature's way of saying, don't have any more of those things. They're wretched souls. When I was walking through the airport, and some guy was walking there with his whole family, and there's his daughter. She looked about 12 to 14, somewhere in that range, uh, sort of Joe Biden aged. And, um, and she had this facial expression, just total permanent bitch face. And I said to the guy, total stranger, this is me, you know, talking to total stranger. I said, your daughter's at that age, isn't she? And he looks at me with this total, like beaten look at his face. He says, she hasn't smiled in two years. Yeah. It's the, uh... And then, then he turns to her and he tells her, he says, that complete stranger could see how gnarly you are. <laughs>
That's the uh, second time the freaks have heard that story. You told that on the I last episode. I told that one before. Obviously, yeah. it's a deeply important story to me. <laughs> it yeah. is. I mean, it is. I mean, I'm in a house with three three little humans on, under the earth. My nephew just turned four, so four and under, and it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is. It is funny to see them grow up, and they're oh, it's wildly interesting, especially having a three month old, a, a year and a half year old, and a four year old. Like the different the other personalities. Thing you don't know at this age, but but what you'll discover is you 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 never get to the point where you don't have kids, and that is to say, you have this image that you sort of like send them off to college as long as you keep writing chicks, you're done. Checks, you're done, and it's so not that simple. I, they will bring their problems home to you until you're goddamn dead. It's what makes death plot acceptable. Yeah. Well, and that's another thing this crisis is really driving home is I, I do like being cooped up with my family, even though it's chaotic at times and the whole nursing home thing. It's such a sad thing to see play out. And I hope that one day I can bring my parents back into my house or my I think it's going to, I think this is going to facilitate dramatically something that I predicted was starting going to show up and it would start out as a failure. That is that it would be declared a failure and that is multi-generational housing. It would be considered a failure because you know, you know, you know, the metaphor, the kid, the kid who doesn't have a job sleeping on his parents' couch, right? That's, that's what we've been hearing about for a number of years now at some point it's going to get normalized and and then it's going to be the kid and his wife are going to raise a kid in in some annex of the house and the parents and the efficiency is going to be so patently obvious where the grandparents get rid of the can eliminate the need for the daycare and the after school programs all that crap and and the parents can get rid of the need to send grandparents off to nursing homes and shit. So, so by having all the generations living in one house, you save so much money. We got all these McMansions, which are way over equipped for just one generation. And I think we're going to go to multi-generational. I think we're going to discover that there's real merit in it. I know a lot of people who said, this has been great living with the family. Yeah. We have my in-laws here right now. And, uh, you're saying this because you're it, blink three times if you're fear for your life, right? Do that. Right. To, right, right, uh, right. Save me on your island. My father-in-law's in the bathroom behind listening. No, no, do this. Do this. If if your father-in-law scares you to death and you just uh, <laughs> there was this great meme on 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 YouTube or something where the guy says the guy's talking about how wonderful it is living with his family. He's got these posters. He's he's turning over. It's, says, help me, I'm going to die here. And it was really fun here than hell. There's been more humor about being sheltered, about being locked up with a family, right? The first one I saw was the guy who said uh, day seven, uh, getting work done. <laughs> His kids have been duct taped to the floor. You know? <laughs> I saw I saw a good video of a guy who had uh, like a poster of the he took like a picture of the corner of his couch and made a big poster so that when his kids came in the room, he had like had it on a stick and it looked like he wasn't on his couch. <laughs> like, <walk by> him. <laughs> yeah. You know, the collective humor of the internet can, never ceases to amaze me. And so, uh, so yeah, yeah. I, I put one, I said, uh, I said day 47 of, 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 uh, of, of sheltering. I said, I said, it's one thirty in the morning, all four people and all six dogs are awake. 
My son and wife are baked on pot that is of unimaginable potency. I said, I've got them almost throwing up with the goofs, imitating a Boston Terrier barking with a cleft palate. <laughs> and I said, save us. It's over. Mayday, mayday. Is that a true story? Yeah, I post that on Twitter. <laughs> you search Mayday. My name in Mayday on Twitter, you'll find it. Oh, man. And it is a true story. It is a true story. I was, uh, you know, I was, I was doing that. My son, my son is uh, coughing up blood almost, laughing so hard. And this is at 1.30. No one knew it was 1.30 in the morning. You lose all sense of time. Well, that is another weird thing that comes out of this. We all this common... Is it a struggle or this common experience where we're, we're locked up? Or it's not common for everybody. Some are locked up by themselves in New York apartments. Others. Oh, I feel terrible for the singles. Yeah. Uh, there, there are people. Um. There are people who who were who are literally just staring at the four walls. Yeah. And that's just awful to me. And um, and so yeah, that, that's one of the reasons we brought my son and his 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 love muffin to to the house. And then they brought two dogs, and then we bought a fourth dog. So we have six dogs. You bought a dog during the lockdown? Yep. Yep. We bought what? a Boston. My wife decided she wanted a Boston Terrier. We've got three labs, and she wants a Boston Terrier. So we got like 80-pound dogs, and we got this five-pound thing that's just so small and cute. But she wanted a lap dog, and he, I understood it. I understood it. So now we have six dogs house, two of which are going to go back to Boston at some point. And um, yeah, it's going to be weird when uh, every I think this summer things will go back to somewhat normal. Yeah, yeah. I just don't know how how much. Yeah. And if Cornell doesn't open up, this place ain't coming back to normal fast. So, I guess we can end on this. If it doesn't come back fast, it doesn't come back to normal. How? How extended is this "quote unquote" recovery? Do we have? Well, you can start doing damage. Is the problem right? You get an atrophy of various functions of society. So, so once you're once you've been unemployed for a long time, your skill sets tend to tail off, and and you know you're not going to reopen a store that you had. Right? You've 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 one shot, right? You put all your capital into starting some small diner or something. And if that thing goes belly up, you're not going to do that again. It's like the, uh, it's like the guy who's, his knees have been fried and he now he sells shit at Home Depot, right? The kind the, the carpenter who now lo no longer can do carpentry sells shit at Home Depot. And so, um, yeah, I think there's, a, I think there's going to be a lot of people who are, who are going to get their, 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 their previous hopes and dreams dashed by this. It's fucking terrible. Yeah, it is. And and that's why I don't want to find out that it was also unnecessary. So I, I think at some level we have to believe it's necessary. I'm trending towards it's not as necessary as... Well, I, that's where I'm trending too. But um, And I'm not hoping for people to die. I just, I'm hoping that we'll find a way to get to a it was necessary level because um, one of that's like, you know, when China stopped reporting new COVID cases, it's like, oh, those lying bastards. But then I started wondering, what, what if there just aren't any more? What if China's done at 80,000? That's it. 
25 million people were supposed to die a couple months ago. Yeah, well, they're not. Well, they might have. We don't know. You know that. Remember that whole sulfur dioxide cloud over Hubei. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> they're tracking sulfur dioxide because of the crematoria. Heaven only knows. Maybe it was maybe it was CO two, and they didn't know what they were looking at. Who knows? Yeah, um, th- well, could this be an opportunity for people to finally call all the bullshit in our society? I'm hoping that, you know, I'd like to get rid of the social justice shit. I'd like to get rid of, uh, I, I always thought that this generation, this generation being a fairly broadly based one would in some level almost includes the boomers, um, that the era had gotten pretty frivolous and, and, and certainly, um, you know, we, we have students who are, sending emails to the university president because, because some professor's not cutting them a, enough of a break. This is Cornell. How, what's going on in Arizona State? I don't know. I, 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 but the, these are kids who are complaining that one professor canceled the final and another one didn't. It's not fair that their final didn't get canceled. And I'm thinking, holy shit, you know, you know what you need? You need to get drafted and sent to some rice paddy for a couple of years. <laughs> And then say, okay, I've gotten perspective what sucks. And this isn't the part that sucks. No. That's another thing that worries me. Like, if things really do hit the fan of the economy and things don't come back, usually that leads to, to conflicts, physical conflicts, wars, to try to stoke that growth. And I don't know if it causes them or if it's a coincident indicator or if it's leaders get us into wars because they want to hide something. I, it's, I've never quite known what the, why there is a correlation of armed conflict with economic downturns. And, and, um, but we could do it. I mean, you know, angry mobs can do it. Yeah. Yeah. And it could happen in China. It could come from China because even if, let's say, we're morally sound enough to not get in a war because people are grumpy, um, China might not be, right? If their banking system goes kaplooey, you know, I have no idea, but they've they've shown an ability to be pretty ruthless. And and so if if they decide, well, you know, we got all these excess males, remember all that, that we drowned all those young girls. Um, We got, we got this, sexually deprived group of males that are angry and they're all in their roughly twenties now or thirties, maybe we've got a standing army. Let's go pick a fight. Right. And I, I worried about that for a long time because I thought you can't just have 20% more males than females. You just can't do that. No, that, that imbalance is real. I actually heard an interesting theory about that. I saw a Twitter thread about it the other week about why uh, there's so much entrepreneurial spirit in China, even though it's a communist regime, like the, the citizens, yeah, the citizens are like the males are trying to just innovate and become big businessmen because that's the way you get the chicks. And right. I think that's true here too. Yeah. <laughs> I look at Manukin's wife and I'm thinking she didn't, she didn't marry him for his looks. Launching um, butts. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, she's got that look in her eye. There's nothing about her that doesn't have have you know prenup. You know, should have signed a prenup um, somehow. I don't know. He probably did though. I mean, that one picture of them like holding up the dollars is just. Oh yeah, she's got this look in her eye. It's like holy shit! Oh my god, she looks. She looks like she's she's. Oh, it's like someone jacked her full of hormones or something. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's not she's not bad looking, I'll tell you. Yeah. She's better than those dollars to me. Um Yeah. About the climate about the climate stuff though. Is yeah. it the sun? Is it true that we've uh we've had like a very low level of sunspots in the last two years? Is that article that's been going uh, on? That is true. I I think we are um the sun is is supposedly you should take everything I say about climate with a grain of salt. What I did is I tried to figure out if the climate was really changing. What I, what I became convinced was is that there's enough bullshit in the story that it's very hard to know what's true and what's not. And the climate science is so polluted with conflict that, that I could no longer separate the good, good from the bad. I could no longer resolve it. And there was so much bad in it. So here's, here's something I want to tell you that, what do you, what do you call your crazies? The, uh, the freaks, freaks, right? The freaks, uh, the freaks should watch the movie planet of the humans. I got you taken watch- off YouTube. Got taken off YouTube? I'm pretty positive. I watched it, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it got taken off YouTube. Well, in any event, I don't see how you can watch Planet of the Humans without getting freaked out. And um, and and I I read a number of critiques that suggest I know they wanted to take it off. If YouTube actually took it off, that's just appalling, just truly appalling. That shows that authoritarian regimes were under. Um, and there were some criticisms of it that were probably valid. But, but, but the bottom line is, is it beat the living snot out of the climate industrial complex. All right. It's still up there. I just checked. I think they okay. wanted to take it down. I was going to say they wanted to take it down. I don't think they have the balls to take it down on Michael Moore because that would be his next movie. Right. <laughs> and, uh, so he'd be doing a YouTube movie. Um, so, so I, I've urged people to watch it and I don't care if it's 80% right, not a hundred percent right. Um, it's just a truly awful story. And Michael Moore being a super lefty, intending to write a very lefty movie, came to the conclusion that there were so many financial conflicts in the in the climate world, in the the the, the, the in the biomass and in the wind and the in the solar stuff that 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 it was a scam. There's a great quote from what Eric Hoffer or something where he says, Every movement becomes a business and ends up being being a, a racket. And, and the climate change world became a racket. And I think it's about political control. I think it's about money. I think it's all these bad things. So I don't know what the story is now. Uh, we could have climate change. Uh, climate change could be real. I'm never going to believe it at, at the level that they want me to believe it. I'm, I'm, there's no chance I'm coming back from where I've gotten to. Yeah. No, I mean... Kudos to Michael Moore for doing that. Had to take a lot of he balls. Had he had guts. It was mostly yeah. his partner, I think, who's, who he's done a lot of movies with. So it's, he's like a, you know, sort of, um, you know, Elton John and a songwriter. So, um, so climate, uh, uh, planet of the humans is a very, very important flick. 
and I read the critiques and the critiques fell flat, in my opinion. They're, most of them were, they could have mentioned this and this and this, and they didn't. I go, well, that's not what the fucking movie was about, you douchebags. Of course he could have. They could have he could have done a 70-hour documentary series on it, but he didn't. He did an hour and a half, and he beat the shit out of you guys. And, uh, and so, yeah, that was an important movie. That was a very important movie. And um, so where are we at on the climate? I, I don't care about it anymore. I stopped reading about it. Yeah, it's, um, I, I probably side with you. There's so much bullshit in it that it's like hard, hard to right. believe that a narrative's not being pushed on people uh, and an agenda. But I like, and I do question how many people discount the sun's effect on all this. And so like, right. Oh, back to the sun. You mentioned the sun. Yeah. So the sun, the solar cycles apparently are unbelievably rhythmic. You'd never believe how rhythmic they were. Um, Unless, unless you look at this stuff, you go, my God, this is just pulsing away. And, and there's these maunder minima and stuff like that. And we're apparently heading into one and, and, and there would cause super cold periods. So, this same crew of loonies are going to be arguing that we should be pumping CO2 into the atmosphere before this thing's over, best I can tell. And I don't, I'm not seeing solar physicists who are climate changers. The solar physicists do not sign off on climate change at all. They seem to, you know, the, the, the chairman of Hebrew University's physics department's a solar physicist. He says, there's not a shred of evidence that it's anything but the sun. And so, yeah, I, th I think the, the, the lack of sunspots supposedly tells us we're going to freeze our asses off. You know, what we'll be doing, we'll be using huge amounts of fossil fuel to keep from freezing to death. Yeah. And, hey, Bitcoin will make us more efficient at doing that. Ah, we're going to cut you guys off. So it'll actually not even grow at all because of the, the costs of mining. We'll say, no, the Bitcoiners don't get their energy anymore. Sorry. Well, You'd be surprised. You should see what we're doing at Great American Mining. I actually work for a company, and we're using waste gas and oil fields to mine yeah, Bitcoin. I'm aware of that. You should set up. You probably have mining operations in Iceland using geothermal too, right? There, yeah, 73% of Bitcoin mining operations are renewables, geothermal or hydroelectric mainly. That's a good call. Yeah. 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 So, so you guys should be proud that you're consuming vast amounts of energy, at least in the right places. Yeah, waste, stranded, wasted energy. We're uh, yeah, moving know. us moving us towards a type one civilization, Dave. Bitcoin. <laughs> well, you could, you know, I can make the argument that agriculture was our big mistake, inventing agriculture, um, and that is that the hunter gatherers. It's estimated that it, that they they work about thirty hours a week, and they don't suffer from famine and starvation. What they do is they adjust their hunting and their gathering, depending on how the seasons and how the, the various animals traveled around. And so they ate, you know, fruit when it was available and they, they killed mastodon when they could. And then we invented farming and it was the sedate locking you down on a plot of land existence that actually created the fat famines because all of a sudden the crop would fail. And these guys didn't know what to do with a failed crop because they lived off their crops. And so I think what agriculture did is it allowed us to stay still, which gave us the ability to develop all sorts of cool things like pornography. And then um, and Bitcoin, I put those two together. They both need energy. And um, bit porn. And then um, 
and at the same time, though, it produces it allows us to pack too many people into small spaces. And so, is it really a big win for the planet or a big win for humans that we can now ram was it fifty million people into Tokyo? Is that is that a win? It's not obvious to me. Uh, you know, we've got you know we've got microchips and stuff like that. We've done cool stuff. But we could also just be all flopping around Indonesia eating fruits from the trees and stuff like that, dying young. Would you prefer that? No, I'm not one of those guys, but I can make the case. I'm also a big believer the earth heals itself. You know, remember when the gates of hell opened up when Saddam lit all the oil fields and we were going to get nuclear winter and nothing happened. And then the Gulf spill of oil coming in the Gulf was going to, we opened the gates of hell and the Gulf would become a, a dead zone and that didn't happen. And so I, you know, and supposedly now that we're, we're in shelter mode, that, that mother nature's taken back a lot of shit. There's beaches in Florida where, where people used to you know, swim and supposedly alligators are now sunning on the beaches again. And so, you know, um, so the earth is healing pretty fast. You know, the, the pollution in China plummeted. Uh, you know, you can see the sky on a good day. Yeah, it was a weird stat. I don't know, not a stat, like a hypothetical out there. Like hypothetically, if lockdowns persist uh, in China specifically for an extended period of time, they could actually probably net net save more lives um, from people less people dying of the air pollution over there. Oh, there's all sorts of knockoff, knock-on, knock-off effects. Uh, the one that got everyone's attention is the, 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 the deaths of despair, people who died directly and indirectly from things that ultimately correlate high with poverty. So like the op- opioid epidemic tracks along the, along the impoverished you know, coal mine towns and steel towns up through Appalachia and, and, um, and, and into the, the you know, typical, you know, deaths in the hood where the poverty is and places like that. And so the question is, is, is are we going to cr- produce more poverty and as a consequence, more deaths from the lock, the shutdown, the sheltering than, than from the COVID? That's a legitimate question. That's one thing. Yeah. I've been talking a lot about on this podcast. Too. It's a very, very, it could happen. It may actually happen, which is scary to think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. If I lost my job, I don't think I'd be very profitable as a a, a streetwalker. I, I think I'd. I don't think I'd bring in a lot of bucks. No, and you have doctors coming out saying there's increased domestic abuse, addiction. Uh, right, right. I, I got to figure that there's there's women who are so unhappy that their husbands are home twenty four seven because of the domestic abuse problem. And, and these guys, to the extent that, you know, it's one of these, you know, drink two six packs and get angry and beat your wife moments. Um, that's gotta be happening a lot. The guy's sitting around the house moping about not having a job, drinking beer, screaming at his wife. Next thing you know, she's got the shit knocked out of her. Um, we've destroyed our medical system, not permanently, but, um, um, but if you go to the hospital now with a problem, you don't get shit. You don't get the treatment. It's just truly horrific. And, you have uh, hospitals shutting down because people are afraid yeah. to go to them. Yeah. Um, my wife, I thought she had broken her neck, actually. She has a problem with her neck, and she had cracked it before. I thought, I got her to the hospital, and, and they gave her a CT, and she never saw a doctor. So they they said it was negative, and they released her. And she never what? saw a doctor. 
Even up in Ithaca? Even up in Ithaca. They, they've shut down the hospitals. And so she never saw a doctor. And the first time when she, she did crack two vertebrae in her neck, um, she also has a couple of fusions. It's a complex thing up there. Um, they missed that on the CT and the doc who was evaluating her saw some funny body mechanics and he checked the CT again and he found them. And so, so she got a, she got a negative on the CT that had all the, all the fanfare of a negative sign on a pregnancy test. I mean, it was really just nothing. And I didn't even get to talk to him. So they wouldn't let me in because of this whole COVID fuck up. And so the next morning I called my GP and I said, I said, Lloyd, I said, this, this is fucked up. Candace I may have a broken neck. And, uh, and, uh, and she didn't even see a doctor. And so by noon, we were in a doctor's office. And she didn't. She did not have a broken neck. Um, Thank God. Yeah. Um, well, the first one, I didn't know she had a broken neck either. I drove her to the hospital for that one. And then partway there, the vibrations were driving her crazy. And I got the, by the time I got to the hospital, I said, I think this chick has a fucking break in her neck. And, and she did. She had a 40% fatality rate break in her neck. And, uh, and you, you, I wouldn't have known it. She's walking. What she did is the doc noticed she was holding her head with her hand. He said, every time I've ever seen that, there's a broke, there's a break. And I was at dinner with her at the day after she did a face plant this time, it was a couple of weeks ago. And I saw her put her hand on her head like that. I said, we're going to, we're going to the hospital, dear. <laughs> and uh, and uh, she said, oh, we'll go tomorrow. I said, no, no, we're not going tomorrow. We're going now. And don't, change your clothes and don't, you know, just we're going. We have neck braces for and wrapping around. But, um, but I was appalled by the complete and utter lack of care. And I, I couldn't even convey the complexity of her case to get someone to look careful. We just got an answer. I, I tell it was like a stick with a negative sign on it. And, and she got discharged by a nurse who knew nothing. She handed her a wad of papers. And our hospital is a good hospital, in my opinion, but it had just been taken down to the studs. And so, you know, what would I, she could have died from that. Thank God she's okay. But okay. Yeah, I'd have to get a trophy wife. That's hard. You know, Manukin's wife, you know, I get it. There's merit in there. But no. How fragile is this whole system, though, across the whole landscape? Oh, that was totally self-inflicted. So we didn't have to shut down our fucking hospital. We could have said, look, here's the deal. We're going to do that elective surgery this Thursday, but we might have to cancel if we get a bunch of COVID people coming in. And how hard was that? But, oh, no, we can't do that. What kind of stupid planning was that? that was, and here, okay, I, I, I talked to Pomp about this. I'm going to repeat this story. Here's what's happening. This is a fucking nightmare. Um, private equity guys are buying hospitals. Right away, you're going, okay, the patients are going to suffer because these guys are going to squeeze the shit out of the hospital for profit. And then you go, or or they're going to strip mine the thing by dumping a huge wad of debt into it, paying themselves a huge amount of money in, in, in their bonuses, and then sell the shell of the company, the hospital, into the open market, which I totally blame the Fed for. You go, how do you blame the Fed for that? Because it's only when money is so available and capital is so cheap and there's so much money flooding around the system that you can sell a stupid fucking company with debt to the gills and, 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 and a balance sheet that's a worthless sack of crap 
to a bunch of idiots who who are buying shit just because they're so stupid. So that that company that's been loaded with debt and gutted of assets is worth zero. Yet somehow in the JPO Fed run economy we're in, you can sell those things for a lot of money, which is all part of their profit. Then then the company goes bankrupt. The buyers who buy it discover that buying a company loaded with debt was a stupid idea because some 22-year-old goddamn analyst sitting in a cubicle had blown it. No idea and was just getting it because of the yield. Uh, right. And, yield. And, and so then, so then what's going to happen? First of all, the hospital goes through bankruptcy. It's not going to go away, but it's going to be a mess. Now, the alternative, back to the original, let's say the PE guys hang on to the hospital and they turn it into a cash cow. Then what we're now going to get is we're going to get national health care. Now we've got a guaranteed payer so that the PE guys will get paid handsomely every fucking time. The Ethics of Money Production by your Guido Holzman, where people need to read it. The Fed should be put in a sack with a hyena and tied up and thrown into the lake. And that's how they used to kill guys in the old days. They'd put them in a sack with some sort of rabid creature. And they'd throw them in the lake. And when the animal started, you know, fearing for its life, it would chew the shit out of the guy in the sack. That's what we do to the Fed right there. I'm getting more demented with age. I should stop reading books about medieval history. Uh, I mean, I think you're really uh, exemplifying an anger that exists out there. And I, I have it. I do too. And I, but I think more people are starting to realize. Like that's something we've been trying to spread. Like I think genuinely and wholeheartedly that most of the problems that exist in the world, most of the problems that republicans and democrats think they're fighting over stem from monetary policy like we need to fix so the when, money. I, when i was a kid i used to have talks with my dad they were great talks one of which i remember one vividly where i said we we're talking about the depression and i said so you could buy up real estate and make a fortune basically i was as a teenager inventing distressed asset sale purchases right he said yeah but no one had any money and somehow that locked into my head that said, you have to have money at the bottom if you want to buy cheap, which then I, I eventually learned, you have to therefore have money at the top. You can't be fully invested at the top or you won't have money at the bottom. So you can't be riding the euphoria to the bitter end because then you're just going to lose all your money back. So then one time we're talking about, he, he was a contractor and he went into this area that he had nothing to do with before, cement pumping. Used to be a hauled cement up in a big tub, building a building, you could you'd haul it up all these floors. There was a cement pump that could pump cement seven stories. Now you can imagine the value of this thing. You can also imagine the cost of the thing. Now this is 19, probably 70-ish. So $1970, the thing cost $350,000. That's a lot of money. And, and I asked myself, why did you go into cement pumping? He said, you mean besides the fact I thought I could make money, why? He said, I said, yeah. And he said, anyone who can find that kind of money is a valid businessman. And I can compete on the playing field with that guy. He says, what I can compete against is some fly-by-night douchebag who comes along and, 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 and undercuts my prices and drives us both into bankruptcy in the process. And he says, so he was describing the idea of a moat. He was saying that the problem of getting a, a $350,000 cement pump is a moat to protect good businessmen from idiots. 
And what are the Fed doing now? The Fed is creating more idiots and the Fed is creating more zombie companies who, who stay in business only because of the Fed largesse and they're cannibalizing the profits of good companies. They're making it harder to make money. And meanwhile, at some point they're going bankrupt, but they're gonna gut the living shit out of reasonable businesses en route to their bankruptcy. Well, this That's is a even... terrible model. The Fed is filled with idiots. And this is playing out in the VC startup world too. Like we're seeing like yes. SoftBank, like so SoftBank strategy is they invest in 20 to 30 different companies in the same verticals. So like your Uber, your Grubhub, uh, Seamless. WeWork. Like, and- you know, just... I didn't even know until about a week ago that WeWork pulled off their IPO is under some other name. Did, Did they? Know? I did not I, know that. I read, I swear to God, I read it. I heard they pulled, they slipped an IPO in there of WeWork. Was it, just, was it just called We? I remember them. No, like, it, was, it had another name. I, I did not hear that. it up into a big pile of shit and, and, and IPO that thing fast. And, and they, 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 I, fuck, I don't know. They're broing down now. They sold out. Now they bro down. But like... So that's like the VC world is like a microcosm of the Fed on a, on a grander macro scale. Like you just get all these. You wouldn't have all these VC guys, all this private equity guys and stuff if you didn't have unlimited capital. And by the way, when capital is unlimited, that means our savings, the money we squirrel away is of no value because it used to be that that formed the foundation of capitalism. And now it's like, no, we don't need to borrow your money. We don't need your deposit because we can just get fucking money from the Fed. Yeah. I mean, capitalism. And that's why we don't get an interest rate because yeah. the Fed has priced money. The Fed has priced savings completely into the trash can. And that's why I think they're all a bunch of assholes. I hate them. I detest them because they think that a committee of 12 morons somehow should be setting the price of capital. And they're, they're just, I, I can't imagine the level of stupidity of these guys. And I, I, why I think I know more than them, I, the only reason is because I know there's 12 idiots in there. So I've got to know more than them. I completely agree. I'm not bringing Bitcoin up again, but. Someone referred to me on Twitter the other day, as, as this morning actually, as America's number one ranter. <laughs> I I would stand in your corner and back you up on that title if you want it. Network, where he says, I'm mad as hell and I'm not taking it. Not network, was it network? The movie where he says, I'm mad as hell and I'm yeah. not taking it anymore. Right? I think it was the network. I think, uh, maybe I'm going to go the route of that Tunisian and light myself on fire or something. But like. what's, so I would think that you think that we should return to a sound money standard. Like, how do you think that's possible with cold moving? I'm forward? more of a moderate than that, believe it or not. I actually don't oppose the idea of the Fed. What I oppose is the idea of the Fed being, the Fed should be the referees on the field. I do believe that, you know, JP Morgan bailing out the banking system, which was a gold standard, but that runs, the idea of having some sort of back, but they need to be there just in case. They need to follow the budget model of, of charging in, big interests if you need it. You know, they got, it's gotta be punitive interest rates. And, and um, they, 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 they need to, the Fed should be the referees on the field. They think they're out there to take snaps from the center. They think, well, they're, they think they're playing wide receiver now. Well, isn't that Rosie 
rosy thinking from first principles yes you'd like them to play referees to start but the the mechanisms of allowing them to be referees leads to them taking the snaps at some point it's just a slow entropy towards that right the the, but the problem is is they've just lost the plot line they've completely lost their way and and draggy right draggy kind of set a a new low water mark by, by, you know, saying whatever it takes. I think there are smart guys out there. I think the BIS has actually got some pretty smart guys at the BIS. They, they seem to understand how fucked up the system is. I don't know why, but what I'm able to tease out of stories coming out of the BIS, but generally I would say central bankers have got this God complex. Well, I think they should be able to just, you know, King Canute the tides out or something. I don't know. Have you ever watched the uh, documentary All All the Plenaries Men? All the what's men? Plenaries, P L E N A R Y apostrophe no, S. That good? I would look that up. It get, dives into how the BIS actually works within the uh, international banking yeah, yeah. system. Yeah, it it's it's bad moments. That's for sure. Well, uh, that's that's what this documentary gets at, is that the BIS may be the supernatural. Um, actually big the death star the death star yeah the big boss um so during the all i don't doubt that the more the further along i go in this game the more i'm willing to believe that the 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 overlord model (laughs) uh all the plenaries let's see how fast it takes plenaries men didn't even autofill yeah it's uh Okay, it's an hour. There we go. Okay, I'm leaving it up on my screen. I'll come in and find it. That's a good one. Um, Very well researched. Uh, Dives into HSBC and Tim Geithner. HSBC, I think it's just reconstituted BCCI. What's that? BCCI was the bank of the drug lords and the and the criminals and the oligarchs and stuff. They were the twelfth biggest bank in the world. If you go if you Google it and go to Wikipedia, and so it was it was the banker to the assholes, and and it was big because there's a lot of assholes. And so what happened is some scandal broke and the whole thing unraveled. And I think they all I think they all scrambled over to HSBC. I mean, it would make sense. They had those teller windows being yeah. fitted for the Mexican drug lords. I, I know. And why why we don't execute bankers is so beyond me. It's so, <sighs> you know, that we, we execute people for killing one person. The bankers, goddamn, they kill people in mass, right? The, the, the death and dismemberment of people by the bankers is just w- staggering to me. It's the whole one death a tragedy, millions of deaths statistic. Yeah, uh, I, know. I know, I know. Oh well, if I was king of the world, I'd probably just rape and pillage too. So, <laughs> well, I think uh, in the next six to eight months, we'll see if the guillotines come out. Depending on how all this goes, if if this lockdown was, you know, the problem me- is when it finally comes out, you don't win either. My son getting gets crazier than me, which is a little scary. Um, I said, you know, but you don't win when you get to that stage. When If, if you have to get the guillotines out, you, you go through a period of serious problem. And you end up with something you didn't see coming, right? Yeah. All the revolutions. The only revolution that really worked well was probably ours, right? The only violent revolution. Right. Yes. Right. A lot of peaceful. Yeah. yeah. Well, then there's the Bitcoin revolution. I know you're going to say it, so I'll say it for you. 
It's peaceful. It's very peaceful. It's opt-in. No, they're going to hang you guys. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, it's, uh, yeah, maybe I should buy Bitcoin. Uh, yeah, I'll think about it. I'll tell you. Tomorrow. Hey, we're going to get the, uh, we're going to get the ener- energy lobby into it and defending it within the next five years. Right, so you're whoring your way through the energy lobby now. If, if we have to, we will. And the incentives line up to where it's perfect. It's a win-win-win for everybody, for Bitcoin, for the energy industry, for energy independence in the U.S., which is a huge topic right now. Um, yeah. And for the incentive to distribute our computing you supply know, chain as well. I want you guys well. to win because my gold will do well too. I'm happy. It's, it's, a, it's an attenuated version of Bitcoin. Uh, we're going to eat gold's uh, market share. It's just going to be a better store of value. Do you think gold will not be? You think I'll lose owning gold or just not win enough? Uh, you may win in the in the medium term, but long term, uh, the opportunity cost of holding gold over Bitcoin will prove enough for me. What? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, Dave. I I, I'm still willing to buy green bananas, but um, not much more than that. I hope we can do this well into uh well into your early hundreds. Meet uh. No, there's no way I'm making it to the early hundreds. No chance. I haven't taken care of myself enough to make it to the early hundreds. It's never too late to start. You know, I thought about that when uh, when Pomp asked me, "What's the what's the big mistake you've made? Any big mistakes?" I, the only thing I could come up with was was letting myself go to shit. And I realized, but that's not even that's, I could fix that. Yeah, pick up a lacrosse stick, go hit the wall, start I'm ten minutes. Doing that. So when my son took up lacrosse, yeah, I was playing a lot of lacrosse. That was good. He's not playing lacrosse now, so I, that's wall that's ball. A, yeah, that's the one thing that crushed me about these lockdowns that ruined the college lacrosse season. The oh, Ivy League, Ivy League shut down well, first. Looking pretty good too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, uh, my wife's cousin plays for Penn and, they uh, <laughs> they were, I think they were scheduled to have a very good season. They were ranked top 10, I believe, to start the season. The Ivies own the top 20. Yeah. I know. Now Cornell is supposed to be pretty good, but they can break your heart. They can break your heart. Um, yeah. uh, Cornell has a new coach now. Um, again, Cornell's gone through too many coaches. You don't do well going through coaches. Yeah. As soon as Tambroni left, you guys, uh, as soon as he ditched you guys for Penn State, it's been a little a little yeah. uh, revolving door. $1,000 salary in lacrosse. That's that's getting ditched. I'd, I'd teach. Uh, I'd go coach badminton for 850000 Um yeah, but he hasn't. He hasn't. He hasn't rocked there. He's done well, so he pulled Penn State from you know obscurity up to up to the pretty good. But he, he's. I I think Tambroni's got a fundamental flaw in the way he coaches, and the fundamental flaw is that he can't resist freezing the ball when he's got a lead. Yeah, that that bit you guys in the ass in the uh, championship against UVA. I saw us lose so many games through the years because he'd freeze the ball. And what happens is Tambroni runs his team with an iron fist. So if Tambroni says freeze the ball, that means freeze the ball. That doesn't mean use your head out there and take a shot if you see one. That means freeze the fucking ball. The problem is all the other coaches, all the other players know this. So the second they see Tambroni's team freezing the ball, you go double it up. Go molest the shit out of them because now one of those kids on that field has got the balls to take a shot, and and that's the problem. And and so after uh, after Tambroni left, 
I walked into DeLuca's office, who was now the head coach. I said, I'm going to ask you to do me one favor. I've been a lacrosse fan here for since Eamon McEnany and, and, and Mike French played here back in the 70s. I said, let the kids play to the buzzer. Don't freeze the ball. I saw too many games get lost. So I, my, uh, I had a surgery not too long ago, and my surgeon played for Ricky, Richie Moran, who I've got to know pretty well over the years, starting when I was about uh, 12 years old, actually. I went to a camp. It was a real meat market lacrosse camp. And I, I didn't understand what they were at the time. But when, when, when the camp has uh, coaches from Hobart, Syracuse, Cornell, Navy, Army, Hopkins, uh, uh, Maryland, uh, you know that it's a meat market camp, right? It's, it's not to teach you how to play lacrosse. It's to find goddamn talent. It sounds like a blue chip camp right there. Yeah, it's a blue chip camp, right? And uh, and I didn't know it at the time, but um, so so um, God, I lost my. Oh, I'm talking to this doc who played for Richie Moran, and 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 I said I said Tambroni froze the clock, and he said, oh, he lost a lot of important games doing that, and so I I just did not want to ever see. You know what I like? Here's here. You might remember this. You might not. Those who are March Madness fanatics will remember the greatest March Madness. The greatest March Madness was, was is relatively obscure. I could argue it's one where Cornell got to the Sweet 16, but others would not agree with me. Um, the greatest March Madness, in my opinion, was, and, and you know, you, it was a Villanova beating Georgetown or something. No, it was when Hank Gathers died, and he was, the, he was the marquee player for Loyola Marymount, and he dies like right before them, the March Madness. He keels over from a heart attack on the court. So their, their first-round draft choice guy's gone. And these guys were run-and-gun offense like you've never seen. These guys held the ball on average from the inbound to the first shot, 5.9 seconds. These guys were racking up 125-point games. And they could have two minutes on the clock and a 15-point lead, and they would run down that court and put up three-pointers. And they mowed through the brackets, and it was so spectacular. That's what I want to see Cornell lacrosse do. I want to see them push into that cage every goddamn minute of that game. I should go up to Albany and practice with that team. Yeah. Well, you know, Ithaca High School had a, a team. My son took up lacrosse late. And – and uh but you can pick up lacrosse late. It's one of those sports can get away with that if you're, if you're a good athlete. So I bought us two sticks, and, and, then, um, and then I sent them to a bunch of camps, and I hired the Cornell, uh, one of the, uh, not the assistant coach, a volunteer coach. There's the lowest rung in the coaching ladder is a volunteer coach, no pay. You got to pick up money on the side. I hired him to coach my son. I hired a Cornell track coach to coach him on how to run. And, and he, we played fast catch-up. He ended up on a travel team. The first game he ever played was something like three months after he took, picked up a stick. He played up in the Lake Placid tournament in a, in a, in a triple consolation match. But it was adult men's division. He's going against Division I players, and he's been, he's been flicking the stick around for three months, and he hit the pipe twice. Pause. Boss, yeah, 
And he played an entire half as a midi without a break because everyone else had died from the tequila. And uh, so in any event, so he played on a travel team and none of the kids knew he'd never played. And, uh, and so he got really good, really fast. And I made him play both hands. I absolutely made him play with the gloves all the time. We just played hours and hours at a time. And, um, and, uh, and then, uh, and then he, he was a, a violinist and he got, he got the, uh, he got the uh, uh, solo. And uh. he wanted to play lacrosse and risk the solo was his true dream. So you got first chair? He got he was first chair already, but he got the solo too. He, they're independent, and he mm-hmm. and so he said, "I can't play lacrosse senior year. I can't afford to smash my fingers." And I went then, the other, I went the other way. I played bassoon and decided to play lacrosse over the bassoon. Well, I, here's here's where I went. I I was playing lacrosse until tenth grade, and uh, and it was on a good team in Syracuse, and uh, and I was small and I was a gymnast and I. I just love gymnastics. And I told this story the other day, actually on a podcast, but I, 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 I just didn't feel like I was very good because I, the guys I had to play against were, were better. So, so there's a Southpaw there who, who I was the only ambidextrous guy. This was back in the seventies. Uh, and, and so uh, two handed was, was rare. And, and I, I actually somehow uh, was slightly left-handed, even though I'm a righty. And so I'm planning it on this team with these guys. And the, the Southpaw is clearly better than me. In fact, at that camp, I watched the coaches frothing over the guy. And um, he's clearly better than me. And then I'm playing against this defenseman who's this big goon who's beating the fuck out of me constantly in practice. And, and, and then years later, so I, I quit lacrosse and took up gymnastics full time. I did some college gymnastics, but I was too busy. Um, I also grew to six feet. Um, and, and years later, I found out that, that, that the, the Southpaw became a three-time All-American and first-team All-American at Syracuse. The defenseman became the 12-year-long snapper for the Cowboys. And then I realized and said, you know, you, you might have used the wrong benchmark to assess your ability in that sport. And, and there was another defenseman there who was, who was fine. He, and nothing about him was a problem. He ended up playing for Georgetown, right? So it was, it, I was surrounded by talent I didn't know. So I thought I was, you know, mediocre. I, I, my assessment was I'm mediocre. I like gymnastics better. So I quit lacrosse to play. To play. And, and I, I don't regret it because I really love the gymnastics. I just adored the gymnastics. I'm just imagining a timeline now where you're not a chemistry professor at Cornell. You're a, you're a lacrosse coach. Tambroni well, never so, was. Here's something. Here's a stat for you. I I have coached two collegiate sports. Find a modern era professor of anything who's coached two collegiate sports. One's a pretty low level assistant coach in Taekwondo, and the other for a couple of years I was head coach of the gymnastics team. At Cornell. At Cornell. Hell yeah! What uh? What made you stop doing that? Uh, they got a real coach. <laughs> <laughs> and the taekwondo i i, I kind of timed out i had a my kids were keeping me busy and my i was getting out of shape and and uh but uh and, and i was an assistant it, it, it's not the most elaborate coaching position but yes yeah, so I, I used to uh i can remember 
There's kids I used to spar against. I love sparring the Cornell kids. It was so much fun. And they loved it too because we couldn't decide who liked beating the shit out of whom more. The college professor beating the shit out of the undergrads or vice versa. So I'm, I'm coach. I'm one, one day in the, in the NCAA championship, I'm a corner coach for this kid who's, who's, who I consistently could beat. But in the tournament training of stuff, which I used to do, um, I'm thinking this guy's getting really good. He ended up taking a silver in the nationals that year. I'm going, holy shit. Another guy who I thought was really good all the way. And I, I watched him pass me, but I told the, the coach, I said, this guy's good. And he, he kind of didn't believe it. He said, nah, I don't know. He ended up losing, but I watched him pass me. I, I, at one point I could beat him and then it, it, he, he just got better. Much and, and I was starting, I was probably 36 years old at that point, so I was starting to slow down too. He ended up losing in the Athens Olympics seven to four to the gold medalist. Holy shit. Right. And 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 I'm thinking, holy shit, that was you know, I don't mind getting the fuck beat out of me by him, I guess. Right. And it was funny, so I went to, he came and gave a seminar. He's a professor, very high-ranked professor at Penn. He came and gave a seminar. So I went to see him and we were like asshole buddies. I was so tired of those guys. And he stands up there and he gets introduced as they didn't know about the Athens Olympics. And <laughs> he got introduced as being on the, in the Pan Am games. And, and, and the guy who introduced him said, I had no idea he was this elite Taekwondo guy. And the, kid, the guy's kid stands up there. And he's not, not a kid, he's like 40 years old. And, and I'm just beaming with joy. He sits he stands up there and he says, uh, he says, yeah, Professor Colin up there used to beat the shit out of me. Mattered <laughs> and shit, way out of shape. And, and my peers who know me, they're going, what? What? And uh, that was, that was, that did not last totally long though. He, 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 he got by me. I remember one day I was sparring him and I was beating him. And the coach said, Chinadum, that's his name. He says, you just have to beat the shit out of him. So Chinadin was letting me spook him. And, and I turned around, I said, do you, do you really have to put it in those terms? <laughs> but that was true. So I, I, I should have done Taekwondo when I was younger. I took it up when I was about 30. Yeah. Molder of mind and sculptor of warriors. Man of many, many uh, talents here front of us here okay, at TFT. I used to skydive when I was in high school and stuff. There's always a little risk taking, but never awful. I, I'm not a big believer in this. You could die. I would never do parkour or any stupid thing like that, even as a kid. No chance. But the, the skydiving was fun until my instructor died. Yeah. That'll, uh, did he die skydiving? Yeah. He actually blew himself up at an air show with, with explosives. Lovely. Lovely. Yeah. So, so the last couple of jumps was a, a fundraiser for uh, for his widow and I got a concussion on the first jump because of the way I landed and and I'm trying to pack my chute I got this bolt of lightning right in the middle of my vision this huge bolt and I'm packing my chute trying to see around the bolt of lightning to pack the chute most people go you know note to self maybe you should not jump anymore today right and I jumped two more times but then that was the last day. I said, "Okay, yeah, uh, this is getting kind of kind of sketchy." So I never got good. I, you know, it was free falling, but it was never. And I, I never did the tandem thing. That's for the wusses. They make you do that now. But there's nothing more spectacular than than being on your first jump and being outside the plane 
on your own, having to hurl yourself off the goddamn little tiny platform. And, you know, you've got a static line. So it's not like you have to pull the chute or anything, but, 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 but you're on your own out there. You're hanging onto the strut and you are on your own. Boy, the adrenaline rush was extraordinary. Yeah. I, uh, I like to keep it on the ground. I like going surfing, oh, skate, I, skateboard I got, in a pass. I'd pay for my son to do it if he wanted to do it. I, I just, but now it's all tandem shit. Yeah, it's, my first free fall. My first free fall. I pulled my emergency shoe by mistake. I'm, it's not that rare actually, and and so it was tangled up. And I'm going, okay, don't worry, keep your shit. I look down and my emergency shoe's gone. I go, fuck. Not really. It's tangled up, you know. It wasn't tangled; it was just twisted. But, but I'm thinking, oh God, that was really stupid, Dave. You know, so you like to make that mistake once. Yeah, I did not pull that one again. I had to buy a case of beer, and I was only 16, so so I had to get someone to buy the beer for me. That's the rule. You pull your emergency shoot by mistake, you got to buy a case of beer. And uh, and as a, uh, as a haze. Yeah, something like, and, uh, you know, I, 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 one of the guys I used to jump with was a swimmer for Florida state. It was a, it was an interesting crowd of characters and, uh, a lot of athletics going on. So, um, so now I don't, I don't regret shit. I'm, I'm you know, I'm trying to figure out what the next chapter is going to be. I think I'm probably just going to become a full-time blogger. And, uh, but I got about five years left in chemistry. I would enjoy that. I enjoy your writing very yeah, much. Yeah, I, I'm not sure it'd be fun if I had to do it all the time. I write every day. It's it's not easy, but well, it's worthwhile. Well, my job is to write, but, uh, you know, um, I'm writing a review article right now that I'm not going to submit to a journal for five years. I, just, I happen to have the time to do it, so I said, fuck it, I'm going to start writing it. And now It's on chemistry. Why would you wait five years? Uh, it's kind of a swan song review. So it's kind of like a, here's my career. And I'm not ready uh, to make my career when it's not over. It's psychologically dubious, right? Hmm. I don't want to go out there on record looking like I'm cashing in my chips. And uh, so I'm funded for another four years. And so um, whether I renew after the four years, it'll determine, it'll depend on what I'm thinking about. Um, there's a fucking bird. Um, I, I don't know, but I'm not going much past 70. In life or in work? <laughs> work. <laughs> I might not make it to 70 in life. Um, who knows, right? I just had a friend die uh, yesterday, actually. He, uh, he, uh, I feel a little bad about this because I uh, he got into a fight about his medical leave and he just died of a heart attack. It's like, uh, hmm, maybe I should have pulled back on that whole medical leave part. Um, yeah, he had, he had some hard work done and they said he was fine. You could ride your bike. You're fine. And then he, he, he killed right over massive heart attack. Another friend, uh, died rock climbing. They said he was dead by the time he hit the ground. That was about a month ago. Heart attack as well. Yeah. And he was only about 60, maybe, maybe 58 or something. Yeah, just no warning. Damn. Right. So Fuck. sorry to hear that. Yeah. I, you know, was it what I what's that phrase you know um being dead is like being stupid um the only one who's not suffering is you <laughs> it's a very good one it is, a good one. It is very good yeah okay dude I 
going to let you go because I've gotten a couple calls from my wife and she doesn't know why I'm still talking to you. All right. I'll let you get to that. Thank you. It's so always a pleasure. Long format, three week podcast model. Um, <laughs> and well, um, I'm sure I'll, I'll hop into your DMs at some point in the, in the future and we'll, we'll do this again. Okay. Okay. Say hi to the bit kooks. All right. I will. I'm sure they'll say hi to you. They will. Go ahead. Keep tweeting guys. Right. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of your day. All right, bye. Peace and love, freaks.